What is happening? This is Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World and Sports reminding you anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. Make sure that you download, you rate, you subscribe, you review, you follow the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, Wendell's World and Sports. That first name is spelled W-E-N-D-E-L-L. Make sure you get the apostrophe S, World and Sports. And make sure that you go ahead and do what you need to do to continue to make this podcast grow and grow and grow. On the podcast today, I'm going to be speaking about that delicious game between the Green Bay Packers and the Arizona Cardinals. What does it mean as far as losing for the Arizona Cardinals? What does it mean winning for the Green Bay Packers? Also, speaking about what's happening with the Cincinnati Bengals in first place in the AFC North. This ain't your Mike Brown Cincinnati Bengals. This ain't your Carson Palmer Cincinnati Bengals. This ain't your Icky Woods or Ken Anderson or Chris Collinsworth Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals under Zach Wilson, under Joe Burrow, under Jamar Chase, under Joe Nixon are doing some things. How long can they keep this up? And really, when you speak about the longevity of success that could be for this Cincinnati Bengals team for the 2021 season, how long can it last? And where exactly would you place them in the hierarchy in the AFC power rankings? Buffalo number one. Where does Cincinnati, where does Cleveland, where does Pittsburgh, where does Las Vegas, where does Los Angeles fit in the scheme of things? So I go ahead and speak about that. Moving on very quickly, speak about what's happening in the NBA. The Lakers are flailing, the Bucks are middling, the Nets are half-assing it. All of the things I'll be speaking about and to end the podcast after I chastise those with the tomahawk chop and the war chants and the let's go Redskins, after I go ahead and admonish those people for their intolerance and their ignorance, I go ahead and just give a quick review of the upcoming games in college football, the Big Ten taking center stage. So with that in mind, remember, Wendell's World in Sports, download, rate, review, subscribe, follow, the most entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to it'll be worth your while enjoy the podcast now enough about me let's put this thing down and let's get this party started Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good morning. We get now to all my brothers and sisters out there in Germany, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom, namaste, que pasa mi amigos, mi amo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. First, I want to apologize by not putting out a podcast on Wednesday. Uh, I normally record on either a Tuesday night or 
or a Wednesday afternoon, but Tuesday and Wednesday I was in Mesquite, didn't have a chance to uh, come back down and record anything, so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to have to record on Friday, and it was a atypical week uh, this past week, so uh, something like that shouldn't be happening anytime soon, but yeah, there was some stuff that was going down that I had to attend to up at Mesquite, so didn't have the opportunity to uh, record for uh, for those who are saying, doggone it, I apologize, I apologize, I apologize, like my name is Anita Baker, so uh, yeah, but there's a lot of things that I want to uh, get into and discuss today, that tasty, delightful performance, that game between the Arizona Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers. I want to get into that. The Cincinnati Bengals. Man, what in the world is going on with that football team? Are they true contenders for the AFC? Really? Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, that defense. Zach Wilson. No, not the president. Zach, that's Zachary Taylor, by the way. Zach Wilson, a guy who was definitely on a hot seat coming into the season, all of a sudden now is in the running for the AFC Coach of the Year, the NFL Coach of the Year. Could Joe Burrow, the way that he's playing, be considered an MVP candidate? Could Jamar Chase not be just the rookie of the year, but also be in a running for consideration for MVP? All of those things that we'll discuss. The game of the week, week eight in the NFL, the surging Tennessee Titans and the improving Indianapolis Colts, the AFC South, no longer the worst division in football. Congratulations to the NFC East for having that moniker. But uh, as of right now, man, this is, this is going to be an important game on Sunday between Indianapolis and and um, Tennessee, I'm going to break down, talk about that, including some other things that are going on in the NFL. The NBA is starting to uh, move a little bit more. The first week is complete. My Washington Wizards are uh, doing quite well. Spencer Dinwiddie for my Wiz is doing well, despite the slow start by Bradley Beal. Slow start from the uh, Brooklyn Nets. When do the uh, Vultures in terms of when's Kyrie Irving? Are you missing Kyrie Irving? How about Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving? What is that? going to get to the point where Kevin Durant's going to want to strangle somebody or James Harden is going to want to try to smother somebody with his beard where they ask another question after a loss. What about Kyrie Irving? Do you guys miss Kyrie Irving? So those are some of the things in the NBA I'll be speaking about. The Lakers blowing a 26-point lead to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I saw the replay of that game. Lucky for me, I live out here in Las Vegas where you get the uh, Laker channel and the Laker broadcast. So not only do you, you can watch the game live, you can also see the replay because they put it on about a half an hour, 45 minutes after the game is over. So when I saw the Lakers up by 20-something, I was like, next. And then I found out that they lost, and I was like, all right, I'm going to be sleep-deprived tomorrow in school, but uh, I've got to find out exactly how the Lakers lost this game. I don't know against San Antonio, they, a game they won in overtime. I don't know if they ran out of gas because they played on um, such a quick turnaround. I don't know if they just got lackadaisical and hubris and stopped playing. I don't know if it was a combination of all of the two. I don't know if it was a situation, look, it's, we're game, what, three, four, five? We're in Oklahoma City. It's the beginning of the season. We're not without LeBron James or we're playing without LeBron James. Uh, you know, we're way ahead. We're just starting to quit now. And Oklahoma City Thunder is doing everything that they can. They're an inferior opponent. And uh, just screw it. If we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. A whole lot of playing left. And the Lakers are of the notion, I would think, that, hey, look, man. I mean, who gives a damn about Oklahoma City, Oklahoma uh, City Thunder in the month of October when we're not even seven, eight, ten games into the season? We're worried about what's going to be happening in June and April and May when the games really count. So how much stock, how much of a loss to Oklahoma, even though we lost a 26-point lead and we did it in embarrassing fashion, how much is that going to weigh on us? Probably not much. Russell Westbrook with a quadruple double. So playing without LeBron James again, I mean, how much 
the, the lineups for the Lakers were head scratching. You had Rondo and you had um, uh, Westbrook in the backcourt at time. I don't know if Frank Vogel was just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what was sticking. Austin Reeves played another uh, game in which he had uh, heavy minutes. So who knows, man? It's a long season. Kendrick Nunn hasn't played yet. Wayne Ellington hasn't played yet. They're still trying to incorporate some guys. LeBron now has missed a couple of games because of ankle soreness. I'm quite sure if the game meant anything against San Antonio and the thunder that he would have been playing. So I'm not going to start to uh, read into that in terms of, oh my goodness gracious, LeBron with the ankle, is this going to be something that's going to be a concern? Yeah, it was listed as an ankle injury, but more importantly, or more realistically, it was something where he just wanted to take the night off early in the season. And, you know, can he really get himself revved up to play against a uh, San Antonio team that's going to be terrible and an Oklahoma City Thunder team that might be the worst in the NBA? And he's going to be, you know, coming out there on the road in October. Nah, LeBron's like, screw it, skip it. I'm uh, 35, I've got a lot of mileage on my tires. So, you know, um, not really interested in playing tonight. So see you later, alligator. So, you know, that type of NBA talk, I want to get into some other things from around the NBA that I want to uh, talk about. So we'll get into that. The third segment of the podcast, then to uh, end the segment, a very delicious Saturday of college football. Did I really use the term delicious? too concerned to to speak about college football. You doggone right I did, but uh, there's some really good games and some interesting things going on in college football that I will uh, put on the back burner until the last segment of the podcast. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad to uh, so glad that you could be with us. Before I begin on this beautiful Friday morning here in Las Vegas, Nevada, where normally right now I would be in first period, I don't know what class I'd be in right now, but I'd be in first period making fun of kids and uh, talking about life. Instead, I'm up here talking about uh, what's happening in the world of sports. And before I do, what's going on, man? What's happening? You know I gotta ask you that question, right? You're doing everything you need to do to make your world, to make your block, to make your space, to make your place, to make your parents, to make your children, to make your wife, to make your husband, to make your in-laws, to make everything that you touch, everything that you come in contact with, everything, everyone that you verbalize with, everyone that you have a conversation with, are you doing everything humanly possible to make this world a better place to be. Not for me, not for you, not for our generation, man. Sorry, it's too late for us. We're too ingrained in some of our ignorances in terms of our selfishness and those type of things. We're too, I'm guilty just as much as you are. Hey man, there's some things going on in this world that are changing, that need to be changed, that I'm never gonna get used to, that I'll probably never adapt to. I don't care if I live to be 100. I'm 50 something years into my life, man. I can't be changing like that overnight on some of the ignorance and ingrained and stupid things that uh, has been baked into my soul. I'm trying, believe me, I'm trying, but uh, it's a hard road. So in all actuality, in all, you know, realistic uh, purposes, it ain't going to happen for me. The utopian world, it ain't going to happen for me. It's not going to happen for you where everybody's going to be based on their character and their moral fiber, not by their race or their gender or the economic background or who they worship or who they love or what political affiliations they have. None of that stuff is going to be helping us in terms of getting to a utopian society where we want to be. But doggone it, man, we can sure as hell do what we can to make sure that the younger generation don't make the same mistakes, don't go ahead and have the same ignorant, racist, selfish feelings that my generation, your generation, the generation before and after have. So man, let's see what we can do, man, with the younger generation. For those in their 
early 20s, for those in their late teens, for those who are just starting their teens, for those who are still going through puberty, for those who haven't even hit double figures yet in terms of age, man, let's see what we can do. Let's show them the example of, you know what, man, moving this world forward in a positive place through love, through unity, through respect, through understanding, through listening, learning, shutting up, dropping the privilege, dropping the nonsense, dropping the ignorance, dropping the stupidity, dropping the stereotypes, and listening to what these people have to say so we can learn and we can love and we can unify and we can respect. So in the year 2121, 20, when this generation is going to be long gone, there'll be a place, there'll be a world where people are more, much more based on who they are as human beings, not by their skin tone, not by their financial background, not by where in the world they live and those type of things. Let's see if we can do that, shall we? Come on, man. I spent about five minutes begging and pleading. The least you could do is for your kids. Try to make them better human beings. Shut up, listen, learn for those who are different from you. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's get into this uh, ball game from yesterday. The Green Bay Packers. Coming in without Devontae Adams. Green Bay Packers coming in without their defensive coordinator. The Green Bay Packers coming in without their best offensive lineman. The Green Bay Packers going in to a hostile environment, even though there were a lot of Packers at the um, place where the Arizona Cardinals play out there in Glendale, came out and uh, gutsy, gutsy performance. Call them lucky, whatever, man, but 24-21 victory over the previously unbeaten Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals' first loss of the season. Of course, now the speculation is going to be, okay, who's going to be now the best team in the uh, NFC after eight weeks? Especially if, say, for instance, on Sunday, the Tampa Tom Buccaneers take care of business and beat the um, New Orleans Saints. Are we going to be taking a look now at the new power rankings in terms of the NFC being, instead of the Arizona Cardinals, number one, are we going to be taking a look at now the Buccaneers, followed by the Green Bay Packers, then maybe followed by the Arizona Cardinals. For those skeptics of Cliff Kingsbury, for those skeptics of the type of offense he runs, for those skeptics of the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray, are we going to be sitting there talking about now, here comes a precipitous drop from the Cardinals to where maybe you're going to supplant them as far as even favorites to win their division. You're going to put the Los Angeles Rams with Matthew Stafford in an offense that looks more NFL-ish and with a defense led by Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. That squad, that um, unit, that team out there in Los Angeles, are you going to put them as far as the favorites for the NFC Western uh, division and moving them up as far as being real title contenders for not just the conference championship, but also for the Super Bowl. What does this victory, what does this loss mean for Green Bay and Arizona? What does it mean? I mean, the Packers, again, it was an impressive victory. When you take a look at everything that went down, when you take a look at the circumstances that the Packers came into this game, a Thursday night game, yes, for basically they um, were very vanilla. Basically, they were very, shall we say, um, content on... Um, running at a regular pace. Uh, uh, against the Washington football team the following, the, the week before, it was a situation where, you know, we can win this race. We got to win this race. We can win this race by jogging, not by sprinting. You know, Washington is slow. Washington is old. Washington's not going to give us too much trouble. So against the uh, football team from my home 
city, the Washington football skin. So we can go ahead and we can kind of not put the pedal to the metal because we've got a game in four days after that. So we, we can't go out there and kill ourselves and then take the flight to Arizona and then on a Thursday night play against the Arizona Cardinals and what's going to be for them their biggest game of the season. So you know those guys are going to be rip-roaring, ready to go. So it was very advantageous for Green Bay to play a Washington football team, A, that stinks, and B, it allows allowed them to uh, not use so much of their energy, so much of their playbook, so much of their concentration on them that they were coming in less than what they could have been with the Arizona Cardinals, but they came in and got the job done. And, and you know, it was a good, strong workman. I, I, the, the Packers all season long, their performances have been, again, I'll say it before, solid, more than spectacular. Aaron Rodgers has been solid, more than spectacular. The Packers have been, as far as this winning streak is concerned, if you take a look at it, look at it now seven in a row, in which you could say the Packers are the hottest team in the NFL, but they're not playing like the quote-unquote hottest team in the NFL. Has there been any games, maybe up before this one, that you took a look and you saw Green Bay play and you saw, and you said to yourself, man, that is the best team in the NFL right there. Right there. I'm speaking about after week two, three, four, five, six. I'm not even projecting down the road toward the playoffs and, and, and those type of things. I'm just talking about on a week-to-week basis. When you were putting together your power rankings, when you were at the barber shop waiting for that haircut and you were speaking about your home team and who was doing this and who was doing that and who's the favorite and who's looking good and who's looking great, who's the MVP and all that type of stuff, did the Green Bay Packers ever enter your lips in terms of saying, hey, you know, Green Bay, man, woo, that game against Detroit or that game against Cincinnati or that game against Washington or... That game against whoever, man, those guys are looking great. Those guys are looking fantastic. I mean, again, throughout the weeks leading up to this game, Thursday night game against Arizona, did you at once ever say, hey, man, Green Bay, they're better than the uh, L.A. Rams. Green Bay, man, they're better than uh, Tampa Bay. Green Bay, man, they're better than the Buffalo Bills. Have you? Because they haven't done anything eye-popping. They haven't done anything spectacular. They haven't put up a 45-burger. You haven't seen Aaron Rodgers go 35 for 41 for 385 yards and four touchdowns and no interception and throw, you know, four passes in the game that made Patrick Mahomes look like, I don't know, Taylor Haneke, Tyler Haneke, Taylor Haneke, whoever that bum is for the for my Washington football skins. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just been that. Aaron Rodgers hadn't had that type of performance just yet. Devontae Adams has been brilliant, but Devontae Adams didn't play last night. But yet and still, they went ahead and still did this. Again, up until this game against Arizona, and again, it was a statement game, but it wasn't a game where you walked away saying, man, that was a dominant performance. It was a strong, professional football win by a strong, professional, solid football team. The Green Bay defense stepped up and played well. The balance on offense was there when you're speaking about the team throwing the ball. <clears throat> excuse me. The team throwing the ball. Um, how many times did Arizona throw the football? I mean, um, uh, Green Bay throw the, throw the football. They threw the football 37 times. They ran it for 34 times. Balance, Holmes. Balance. When you're speaking about them and their proficiency on third down and fourth down, when you're speaking about of the 24 first downs that they made, made 10 of them came on rushing, or excuse me, 10 of them came on passing, 11 of them came on passing, or rushing, excuse me. When you take a look at Aaron Rodgers, 22 of 37, 
only 184 yards. I say, quote unquote, only 184 yards, but it was efficient. It was surgical-like. It was something to where I'm quite sure Kansas City football fans are yelling and screaming that they had an opportunity to have the offense for the Kansas City football team in their living room while they're watching this game, and they had the cojones, they had the ball, they had enough liquor in themselves to uh, get up in front of the team and go over to Coach Reed and Coach Bienemy and Patrick Mahomes and yell at them and say, this is the way you play offense! Do you see Aaron Rodgers making bullshit throws? Do you see Aaron Rodgers trying to hit a five-run home run when a single is all they need? Do you see those guys looking impatient? No! So why can't we do that, Patrick? Why are we throwing these bullshit, ridiculous passes all over the field and getting an intercepting all the time when you do that nonsense? Can't you see what the Green Bay Packers are doing now? Yeah, they're not looking spectacular. Yeah, they're not looking sexy. Yeah, they're not looking dynamic. Yeah, they're not making the highlight reels. But guess what? They're making first downs, and most importantly, guess what? They're winning games, and guess what? They're also keeping a subpar defense off the field. Why can't we do that, damn it? <laughs> if you're the Green Bay, if you're the Kansas City football team, you're watching that game, right? Come on, man, if you're a Kansas City football team, you're watching Green Bay play, and you're like, why aren't we doing that? Why can't Patrick Mahomes do what, what Aaron Rodgers is doing right now? Dinking, dunking, not, maybe not, a I'll say a level or two above dinking and dunking. But he's he's closer these games to being a game manager than he is being a franchise quarterback. But guess what? It's working. And again, when you're down a couple of chips in terms of your offense is concerned, when you don't have your main man at the wide receiver position, you can't play gonzo, gonzo, you know, you know, Tecmo Bowl, Madden football. You just can't do it. How old am I to bring up the term Tecmo Bowl? I'm sorry. But man, it's just like, you know, that's what Green Bay is doing right now, and it's working for them. So moving forward, man, I mean, we're going to have to come to a point where, look, we're just going to have to say solid is solid, like a rock, in terms of them being one of the true contenders for the NFC. I, I know that you're putting, I know that you're putting, a lot of folks are saying, yeah, Green Bay, 7-1, to one, this, that, and the other, especially after the win last night. I know they're saying, oh man, Green Bay, 7-1, this is great, this is fantastic. But truly, come on, man, do you really think, seriously, seriously, do you still think, even after this victory, do you still think Green Bay is better than Tampa Bay? I'm not saying can they compete. Green Bay right now can compete with anybody. But I'm saying if you had to do a power ranking or your thoughts and feelings about the Green Bay Packers in comparison with the Tampa Tom Buccaneers, I know you're still going with Tampa Bay, right? It might not be as strong as it was before this game started, but you're still going with Tampa Bay, right? And I know in the back of your mind, you're still saying, well, yeah, it was a great victory because the Arizona Cardinals are the Arizona Cardinals. I know that you're sitting there going, yeah, it was a great victory, but I mean, I mean, you know, how good are the Cardinals? I mean, yeah, the Cardinals are undefeated through seven games, but, you know, they're the Cardinals. And they're stuck with that moniker of being the Cardinals. You know, the Cardinals aren't that traditional power foe, right? I mean, this is not Green Bay going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Tampa Bay Tom Buccaneers or, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, something like that in terms of those teams through over the past couple of years that have really done some things. I mean, this is not Green Bay going to lost. 
to uh, Los Angeles and playing the Rams or something like that. More teams that we think of are being consistently elite. I still think there's a shade. I still think there's a there's a percentage, good percentage of folks who are fans of the Arizona Cardinals or what who are fans of the NFL. And they see the Arizona Cardinals, and it's like, yeah, seven and out. Yeah, okay, that's nice. That's wonderful. But it, it, it doesn't have the same feel. It doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't have the same oomph as, say, for instance, one of the better teams that have been along in the last couple of years. You're still thinking about Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who was under 500 in college, a guy who, you know, the Arizona Cardinals, they didn't make the playoffs. They hadn't made the playoffs in a while. Yeah, Kyler Murray's nice, but they play that kind of fluky, junky, Big 12 offense. I mean, it's kind of untraditional. Kyler Murray in itself, yeah, he's an untraditional type of quarterback. He doesn't look like your, he doesn't look like your Matthew Stafford. He doesn't look like your Tom Brady's. He doesn't look like that, you know, that, 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 physique, that, that physique of a 6'4", 250-pound QB. You know, he's a short little guy running around, looked like he's doing shit out in the sand yard, the sand lot, you know, out there in the back of the football field, you know, on your Thanksgiving uh, weekends where grandma, grandpa, your cousins and your aunts and your uncles go out there and you all play touch football and tackle football and, you know, you're running plays out of the mud and the dirt and all that kind of bullshit. That's what the Arizona Cardinals look like on offense. And, and, and yeah, they, they got themselves uh, DeAndre Hopkins, no doubt, one of the top elite wide receivers and yeah they've got some nice pieces but I don't know I guess the one word I guess if you're a doubter if you're a pessimist of the Arizona Cardinals I guess the one thing you could say in terms of why you don't fully believe in them if you don't fully believe in them is the word is gimmicky I guess when you're describing that offense it's gimmicky you know it's, it's, it's bullshit you know and, and it, 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 it's bound not to happen when you play one of the more stout defenses, when you play more of the teams in this league this year who are truly Super Bowl and conference contenders. And for those who have that uh, thought and feeling, I guess last night in some way a little bit kind of proved it right, right? I mean, Arizona, their first real big test other than Los Angeles, I still say that uh, up to this point, that the most impressive win of the season for any team in the NFL was the Cardinals' victory over the Los Angeles Rams. But then again, if you're a glass-half-empty guy, if you're not fully invested in the Arizona Cardinals, you say, yeah, yeah, you know, it was early on in the season. They got the Rams after they had a letdown against the uh, Buccaneers, and, you know, the Rams had their one bad game of the season against them. And, you know, it, it happens every once in a while in the NFL that, you know, they came out and laid, laid an egg. Matthew Stafford threw a couple of picks and... The Cardinals took advantage of it, and so, okay, so that one Sunday early on in the season, they got the victory, what was it, game four or some nonsense like that? Okay, that's fine, wonderful. We were still in the month of September when that happened. What about now? Now we're speaking about halfway through, almost halfway through the season, basically halfway through the season. They're 7-1, nine more games to go. Now let's see exactly what's going to be happening with the Arizona Cardinals. I, I think that they're going to, uh, I think they're going to rebound fine. I don't know exactly what AJ Green was thinking. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear the conversation between the offensive coordinator Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, and Green on that one. We're not going to be privy to it, but it'd be interesting exactly to hear what happened. I wish I, I, I wish I had the knowledge 
of being in that situation of an NFL player to understand exactly what happens, who fault it was for real and that type of thing. But uh, I think uh, in a situation like this, it's not going to lend to a free fall for the Arizona Cardinals. It was a huge win for the Packers, no doubt about it. So it's like a situation moving forward. What was more impactful in terms of moving forward the season? Is this now going to propel the Green Bay Packers to, you know, new heights and now they're going to be on a roll even more on a roll and really establish themselves as one of the best teams in the NFL or is it in the likelihood of now this is going to be something where this is going to linger with the Arizona Cardinals and all of a sudden next week when they play at San Francisco and then they play Carolina then they're at the uh, Seahawks and then they move to uh play the Chicago Bears on the road before they come back home to host the Los Angeles Rams instead of the 7-1 record and moving forward are we going to be speaking excuse me are we going to be speaking about a loss a um, Arizona Cardinals team going into that Los Angeles Rams game with I don't know instead of one loss maybe three or four I mean is it possible that there's going to be some type of carryover to the game against the 49ers I can't believe that they're going to have any type of uh, uh, trouble with the Carolina Panthers, especially with their muddled mess with the quarterback position. I'm sorry. Remember that stuff I was talking about at the uh, beginning of the season, first three games where I was saying, hey, you know, Joe Brady, hey, you know, Sam Darnold, he's not that New York Jets Sam Darnold. See what happens when you get a real uh, quarterback coach in there? You see what happens when you get a real coach in there, like Joe Brady and not uh, Adam Gaze and this, that, and the other? Oops. <laughs> I was speaking the praises. I was singing the praises like I was Otis Redding. Singing the praises. Gotta, gotta, gotta. About the greatness of Sam Darnold through three games. And how, once again, once you get away from that dysfunctional mess of an organization known as the New York Jets, that all of a sudden you can, you know, become a quarterback or you can become a player that's worthy of the high draft pick that uh, Darnold was selected in when he was drafted. Well, He's gone through a rough spot, and now there's more evidence that Sam Darnold was closer to uh, that New York Jets quarterback than he was the first three games with the uh, Carolina Panthers and Joe Brady being their offensive coordinator. So I don't know exactly what's going to be happening, what's going to be going down in a couple of weeks when the when the Arizona Cardinals play the uh, Carolina Panthers, but we'll see. But, you know, I mean, is Russell Wilson going to be back by the 21st of November with that broken finger, middle finger, when the Cardinals go up to Seattle and play the uh, Seahawks. Always tough going on the road to play up there and then going ahead with the Chicago Bears. I mean, a team that, you know, if Matt Nagy could just help Justin Fields just a little bit, just a little bit, just a tad, and maybe the offensive line could be, I don't know, maybe just 5 10% better so Fields can stop turning the ball over like every other time he goes back to pass. I mean, it would be nice. It would be something. But that defense for the Bears, when given the chance, they have played well. So every any given Sunday, we don't know exactly what's going to be happening. But even taking a look at the schedule, taking a look at the situation, taking a look at the possible roadblocks that the Arizona Cardinals might incur by the time they get to the Los Angeles Rams, I still think that they're going to be in good shape. I still think bigger picture that they'll uh, make the playoffs. Bigger picture. I still think, despite the fact that he threw two interceptions, none of him, none of those were his fault from the outside looking in. I'm not educated enough on exactly what happened on those pass plays to sit there and say whose fault it was and whose wasn't. But uh, Kyler Murray, despite not throwing a touchdown and throwing 
two interceptions. I still think that uh, he's right there in terms of the MVP race. I think it might have shrunk just a little bit. You could maybe, you know, elevate Aaron Rodgers into the conversation. Again, you can start thinking about possibly speaking on Joe Burrow, quarterback of Cincinnati, getting into that discussion. So, yeah, a lot of things to go on with that. But like I mentioned before, the Green Bay Packers, Getting it done, the Green Bay Packers, man, I tell you, you know, hey, give them credit. Give those guys credit. Professional, solid football performance. Have yet to be spectacular, but you keep winning and you keep winning and you keep winning. That's exactly what the Green Bay Packers are doing. Despite the fact that, yeah, they haven't had that signature game yet in terms of offense, defense together, putting it together to make them look like elite NFL like an elite NFL football team for the 2021 season. Hey, man, let me tell you something. Solid professionalism can also win you Super Bowls, win you championships. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Ah, man, 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 man. Some of the storylines going on to week eight. What is going on possibly in the AFC? We've got the Cincinnati Bengals. We've got the Tennessee Titans. We've got the Indianapolis Colts. We've got the Las Vegas Raiders surging. Kansas City falling, flailing, failing. <laughs> hey, man, as I mentioned before, I'm going to hit on this and then I'm going to go to break real quick. Is it time to consider the Bengals one of the favorites, really the true contenders for the AFC? Are we going to be getting on to that? Are we going to be speaking about that? Is that for real? Because record-wise, in first place for the in the AFC North with a 5-2 and two record, yes, I know they're tied with the Baltimore Ravens, but because of that beatdown, that they gave Baltimore. They're basically, you know, the champions if the season were to end today, which is not, but coming off their best win in almost 10 years, I would say last Sunday, beating the division leading Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, 41-17. This ain't your mamas. This ain't your daddies. This ain't your Mike Browns. This ain't your Chad Ochocinco. This ain't your Carson Palmer. This ain't your... uh, this ain't your Derek, uh, not Chris Henry's uh, Cincinnati Bengals. This ain't your Dan Wilkinson Cincinnati Bengals. This ain't your drafting with the number one pick, Keanu Carter Cincinnati Bengals. This ain't your cheap ass skin flint Cincinnati Bengals. A lot different. This ain't your mamas. This ain't your older sister. This ain't your green aunties. This ain't your uh, cousin that lost Cincinnati Bengals, man. Joe Burrow, as I mentioned before. Getting closer to MVP consideration, 416 yards, three touchdowns. Joe Flippin' Burrow. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm sorry. I thought this was a guy, you know, it was like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, when he was coming into the league, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winner, that's great. But, I mean, the man had one good year in college, played for Joe Brady, an offensive coordinator, whiz, whatever. Um, his years at Ohio State, the man couldn't even beat out Dwayne Haskins. Goes to LSU, junior year, nothing spectacular. His best win was a road win against Auburn. But other than that, didn't look anything special. Didn't look anything as far as true NFL prospect material. Then comes around, is surrounded by talent, surrounded by talent. When you're speaking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, when you're speaking about uh, Justin Jefferson, when you're speaking about Jamar Chase, when you're speaking about Thaddeus Moss, when you're speaking about a strong offensive line, when you're speaking about a defense that was great, when you're speaking about everything that year at LSU coming together and Joe Burrow basically kind of riding that wave to that championship and to that Heisman Trophy, I was like, okay, I mean, the man had one great year. It was spectacular. It was awesome. But, man, he's going to the flipping Cincinnati Bengals, who their greatest threat 
for skill players are Joe Mixum and um, A.J. Green. I mean, this ain't going to be LSU going up against uh, Texas with their no defense and, uh, and, and, and Tom Herman type of squads. He ain't going to be playing and he, he's not going to be playing any cupcakes. He's not going to be playing any homecoming games for Cincinnati. That ain't going to be happening. What's going to be happening now? What Joe Burrow is going to show up when he's going to be put in that situation? The Joe Burrow that won the Heisman Trophy or the Joe Burrow that couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State? Well, Looks like so far, 17 games into his NFL career, Joe Burrow looks closer to, much closer to the guy that won the Heisman Trophy than he did the guy that had to transfer out of Ohio State because he couldn't beat third string, barely hanging on to his NFL career, Dwayne Haskins. 416 yards, three touchdowns. Bengals led 13-10 at halftime, outscored Baltimore 28-7 in the second half. Joe Mixum had a 21-yard TD run, 46-yard run by uh, Samaj P. Ryan formerly of Oklahoma, 46-yard touchdown run, both in the fourth quarter to turn a tight game into a route. Cincinnati Bengals. Zach Wilson. Hmm. Interesting. Jamar Chase. Let's say it, man. As I mentioned, already one of the elite wide receiving threats in the game against Baltimore this past Sunday. A pretty strong Baltimore secondary, I might add. 201 yards receiving, a touchdown on eight catches. <laughs> So far this season, second in the NFL in receiving yards, trailing only the Rams' Cooper Cup, has eight receptions of 30 or more yards this season, which is the most in the NFL. And he's on pace to break the Bengals' record for most receiving yards in the season, which was 1,440 by Chad Johnson in 2017. Don't mention any Ocho single to me. His mom named him Johnson. I'm going to call him Johnson. His mom named him Chad Johnson. His mom's last name is Johnson. I'm going to call the man Johnson. Against Baltimore, defense played extremely well. Lamar Jackson, who, again, I was up there the week before in that game against the Los Angeles Rams, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers. I was up there talking about, hey, man, Lamar Jackson, MVP, MVP consideration, MVP race. He's, you know, solidly in there. I'm not going to drop him to the bottom of the barrel just based on the fact that he went 15 to 31 for 257 and was sacked five times. But uh, the luster, the steam had dissipated in terms of uh, Lamar moving up to the front or near the front of the MVP talk so far this season. Nine games to go, so you never know exactly what's going to be happening in terms of that, um, of, of, of the MVP with Lamar Jackson. But, you know, right now Lamar's got some other things to worry about than whether he's going to be a viable candidate for the MVP. Um, outside of Jackson rushing for 88 yards on 12 carries, where's this running game here? The running game, the three-headed monster that uh, ate up the Los Angeles Chargers a week ago. Well, you take away Jackson's 88 yards on 12 carries, Devonta Freeman, Tyson Williams, and Le'Veon Bell rush for 29 yards on 11 carries. Ah, Halted one of the halted the momentum of one of the hottest teams in the AFC. That's what the Cincinnati Bengals did. That's what your Cincinnati Bengals did. Wow. Wow. I'm I don't know what to think. Because remember coming into this game, I was like, this is gonna be a gauge for the um Bengals this season to see where they stand. What do you mean you don't know? You you didn't hear me say that about how important this game is gonna be, not the end all the be all for the Bengals, but how important it's gonna be for them to uh, go ahead and see where they stand. You didn't hear me say that on the last podcast. 
You didn't listen to my last podcast. You son of a bitch. Let me throw your punk ass out the window. Go back to uh, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Download, rate, review, uh, follow, subscribe to Wendell's World of Sports and get educated, punk. So I was I was saying on the last podcast that, uh, yeah, th- you know, it's going to be interesting. The Bengals haven't had that signature win. Yeah, they were 4-2, and two, but what? They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. whoop the damn do They beat the Minnesota Vikings the opening game of the season. They beat the Detroit Lions. Well, big flipping deal. I mean, they haven't beaten anybody worth a damn. Guess what? They beat somebody worth a damn. <laughs> so it's like, but, but, as I mentioned before, see, all my podcasts just kind of tie into one another. As I mentioned before on the other podcasts, how good are the Baltimore Ravens? When you take a look, it's like, well, of course, you know, the Ravens 5-2, and two, and, you know, they were the hottest team in the league, and they had just beaten one of the uh, blue chips in terms of the AFC is concerned with the Los Angeles Chargers and blew them out, and Lamar Jackson is doing work, and, you know, the running game, they've survived the injuries. J.K. Dobbins not playing, and this, that, and the other. And, you know, the Baltimore Ravens, this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, well hold on for a second. Yeah, they're 5-2 they're, they're they're and two right now. But damn, let's not forget that they needed a Justin Turner 66-yard field goal at the end of the game on a blown missed call by the referees to give them a victory 19-17 over the winless and hapless Detroit Lions. Hold on for a second. If it wasn't for the Indianapolis Colts running out of gas and Rodrigo uh, Blankenship missing two field goals, one being blocked, the other one very makeable, that would have given, given Indianapolis the lead and they wouldn't have to go into overtime and lose that game. All, all of a sudden now, the narrative is completely different when we're speaking about the Baltimore Ravens. Drastically. So again, the blowout was nice. It was impressive. But moving forward, okay, what are, the, what are, we, what are we talking about now with the Cincinnati Bengals? What, what, what do you want to say now about the Bengals? Are they in the same league as the Buffalo Bills? Do you think the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the AFC? If they are the best team in the AFC, who's the second best? It definitely ain't the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll get to them. Or uh, Kansas City football team, excuse me, out to all of my Native American brothers and sisters out there. I'll get into them a little bit later on in the podcast. But, I, I you know, are the Tennessee Titans? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. The Las, Las Vegas Raiders? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. When you're speaking about, you know, after the Bills, if you think Buffalo is the best team in the AFC, who, where, where are we going here? I mean, is it Cincinnati? Would you take Cincinnati over the Chargers? Forget the fact that the Chargers are coming off a loss to the Ravens 34-6 looking ugly. All right? There's, there's just, I don't know, man. I mean, outside of a handful of teams, I, I don't know definitively if we could say this team is this, that, and the other in terms of being true contenders. Are the Bengals true contenders? Or, I mean, I know somebody's going to have to be. Someone's going to have from the AFC or from the NFC are going to have to play in the Super Bowl. You know, we, 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 some, someone's going to have to represent. So who's who's it going to be? And again, we're only halfway through the season. So there's a lot of time for teams like the Ravens, teams like the Cleveland Browns, clean, teams like the Kansas City football team, teams like the Las Vegas Raiders, teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, teams like, I don't know, the New England Patriots. Those type of squads, there's still a lot of room for those teams to make some moves. And when you have a bunch of teams that really haven't separated themselves, who knows who's going to emerge? Who knows who's going to fall back to the pack? And who knows who's going to fall off the rails and uh, get derailed like Amtrak out there in Montana a couple of weeks ago? So who knows? Who who knows? But it, it, it will be interesting moving forward. The Cincinnati Bengals, the schedule in the upcoming weeks, 
Um, who do they got? Next week, they got the Jets, which is basically a homecoming game. Then they've got Cleveland. We, we don't know exactly what shape, who's going to be playing for Cleveland injury-wise. Then they got the bye week. Then they're at the Las Vegas Raiders. Then they're at Pittsburgh. Or excuse me, then they host Pittsburgh and the Chargers. And then the San Francisco 49ers, which they also are going to be playing at home. So the best case realistic scenario after 13 games for Cincinnati, you beat a glorified homecoming opponent in the Jets, beat a banged-up Cincinnati Bengals, excuse me, a Cleveland Browns team. Okay, you might lose to Vegas on the road, but then you go home and you beat Pittsburgh, and then uh, you beat the Chargers, and then beat the 49ers. So after 13 games, you could be taking a look at a Cincinnati Bengals team that could be 13-3. and Worst-case scenario, realistic scenario, they beat the Jets, and then lose to Cleveland, which starts Cincinnati going on some type of losing streak. Then they lose to the Raiders, and then uh, an emerging Pittsburgh team, and then they straightened it out the Los Angeles Chargers team before an important win against the San Francisco 49ers, which could make their record then 7-6. and six. So they could be anywhere between 10-3 and three and 7-6. and six. Time will tell. I think the truth is going to lie somewhere in the middle. I think they're going to lose a game they're supposed to win. I think they're going to win a game they're supposed to lose. And I think when everything is all said and done, they might not be 10-3, and three, but could you see them being 9-4 and four and still leading the AFC North Division? Do we know what's going to be happening with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Do we know what's going to be happening with the um, Cleveland Browns and their injury situation? How well is Baker Mayfield going to play with a torn labrum? How is the uh, offense going to work with a banged up, not playing Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb? An offensive line that also incurred some injuries. Uh, the defense is going to have to uh, carry the load for Cleveland. Are they going to be able to do that? What's the mystery with Pittsburgh and their offense and their offensive line? A lot of things to be uh, spoken on. A lot of things to be talked about. Cincinnati is right there. Top seven in offense on points scored per game at 27. The defense is also allowing um, a top 10 rating of 18 points. Excuse me, 18 points per game. But everywhere else, they're middle of the road. There's nothing that really stands out. They're 12th in passing per game. They're below average in rushing per game on offense. Defense, as I mentioned before, ranked number 10 in the league in total defense, 7th in the league in rushing, but 17th in pass defense. So who knows? Who knows? What does, <clears throat> excuse me, what does winning a game against Jack, Jacksonville 24-21 to 21 mean? What does a game against Minnesota, their home opener, winning 27-24 to 24 in overtime mean when you compare it to the domination of them beating Detroit 34-11 to 11 and winning at Pittsburgh in dominant fashion, 24 to 10. What, wh- how are we going to gauge? How are we going to, um, you know, surmise? How are we going to, you know, put those up against a loss to the Chicago Bears? How are we going to put that up against this victory now against the Baltimore Ravens team if Baltimore is not as good as we think they are? We might not find out how good Baltimore is really until December 3rd, uh, 19th when they play against the Packers. So we don't know. We don't know. The AFC muddled. The NFL muddled. No one else, for the most part, maybe maybe Tampa Bay because of Tom Brady is really sticking out in terms of wow. But take a look at Tampa Bay's uh, secondary. Take a look at uh, Leonard Fournette has been um, improving leaps and bounds over the last couple of games to become the featured runner, not just running the football, but also being an outlet target for Tom Brady. But that, uh, that uh, secondary is still banged up for... Tampa Bay, but still, I think that they're the creme de la creme, if I could use that cliche. So, week seven, moving on to week eight in the NFL. Man, it is 
it is bonkers, man. It is something else. And I'm still not thrilled because I got Tennessee and Indianapolis that I want to talk about. There's some other games I want to talk about. There's Deshaun Watson now talking about he's open to trades besides Miami and the Carolina Panthers were sniffing. The Philadelphia Eagles should be looking. I mean, at this point right now, my Washington football team, I mean, isn't this something where Daniel Snyder usually comes in to uh, do some shit like this? The only difference it would be it would be not in the off season. We know about Dan Snyder in free agency. We know about him in always winning the free agent season, but never winning in the NFL season. I mean, Deshaun Watson, Daniel Snyder being aggressive to try to get him. I haven't heard anything about it. He's got his own fucking problems to deal with, but uh, I haven't heard anything about it, but wouldn't that be a Washington Daniel Snyder type move for him to give up the farm to get Deshaun Watson and have his career die on the vine of so many other Washington football quarterbacks and free agencies who were supposed to turn the fortunes of the Washington football skins around. But uh, yeah, so those things are those things are happening. And those things I will be discussing right here on the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast of them all, Wendell's World and Sports. Yeah, 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 uh, Big L, uh, Coleon, a.k.a. Tommy Gibbs, <laughs> Flamboyant Entertainment, D.I.T.C., forever, word up, tired of these punk niggas, oh, we'll hit them like this, check it out, yo, why y'all standing on the corner, bummy and high, I'm out buying the finest things money can buy, cats fronting like they holding, but them crabs is broke, in for ten dollar bags of smoke all on my back because of the fame and the wealth you melt groupie you ought to be ashamed of yourself plus i'm running with dogs who bust slugs at the heat i be the mc who mad chicks be loving the meat and i'm not just the rapper i got drugs on the street i swear you never catch coley on with lugs on his feet if you think i'm not nice as whoever then put your money up put your jewels up whatever put your honey up put your raggedy house up punk wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us let me go ahead and let that marinate just a little bit longer. One of the greatest lyricists of them all, Big L, Lamont Coleman, may he rest in peace. The person who murdered him, Gerard Woodley, may he rot in hell. Would love to see Netflix do a documentary on that whole deal in terms of who killed Big L and everything that went down and the person accused of murdering him, the person who probably did murder him, Gerard Woodley, getting murdered himself. Just that whole scene, just that whole situation, somehow putting it in a way of, you know what, in the black community, especially when you're speaking about Harlem, New York, especially when you speak about the history of Harlem and such, the fact that, uh, you know, the, the crime and everything that went down, the drugs that everything that went down is still going down in that community. Somehow, some way, you know, tying it all up to the jazz scene, tying it up to the hip hop scene, tying it up to Malcolm X, tying it up to activism and uh, within, you know, our, our community and such. I would love to see all of that stuff kind of intertwined into one. If I had enough money, if I had enough influence, I don't know. I don't know if Ken Burns would be the person for it, but I would take a young, talented, aspiring, hungry, passionate uh, filmmaker, documentarian, and say, I want you to do this, man. I want you to go back into the neighborhood, and I want you to go do some interviews. I'll give you a couple of years, and I want you to just break this whole thing down. I want you to interview Lamont Coleman's mother, his brother, everything else. I want to do that documentary, and I also want that tied in, once again, to the you know, the decades upon decades of what Harlem means to the community, what Harlem means to the world, what the 
what the um, borough of Harlem means, or bar the boroughs in Manhattan, but uh, you know that area of Harlem, what it means to the world and what it means to the community, what it means to the black community and what we're gonna do to uh, you know, make it better, what we're gonna do to improve it, you know, with the guns and the drugs and the crime and everything that's been il infiltrated and brought into our community for decades upon decades upon decades for the eradication of our community. What are we going to do to stop that? What are we doing to bring uh, some uh, goodness and bring some, um, you know, peace and unity and love and harmony to uh, to the community? And hopefully that'll spread to other inner cities of poverty and crime and such. So I mean, all of that a docu a docu series. I would love to have that happen. Starting off again with the happenings of of uh, February 1999 when one of the greatest potentially going to be one of the greatest Lamont Coleman was gunned down not by not by any white folks not by any of that nonsense by another black man killing another black man which in turn 20 years later a black man killed that black man and so on and so on and so on and so on so I would love to uh, again fund uh, a docu-series put it on Netflix put it on Hulu put it on somewhere Sundance somewhere to where that can be discussed because that needs to be, that story needs to be told. A whole lot of uh, Malcolm X in that also. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening now in the world of sports game or week eight of the NFL, the best game I think of the weekend is going to be the Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts, the two best teams in the worst division in football with the NFC least now gaining that steam for that Award taking the lead, shall we say, for that award in terms of who is the worst, what division is the worst in football. But when you speak about the AFC South and you're speaking about Tennessee and you're speaking about Indianapolis, both of those teams are playing well when you take a look at it. I mean, you know, for Tennessee is looking for its fifth win in the six games, coming off its second impressive performance in as many weeks. Depending upon, I guess, what your opinion of Kansas, what your opinion of Kansas City is, if you're thinking about the Kansas City that competed in the Super Bowl last year, then yeah, it was highly impressive. If you're speaking about the Kansas City football team that's been playing over the last couple of weeks, you're going to say, yeah, maybe not so much. But in the game against Tennessee, in the game Kansas City played against Tennessee, Tennessee dominated the AFC champions in every as every facet of the game, winning. 27 to 3. Titans scored on five of their first five possessions, led 27 to nothing at halftime. Ryan Tannehill threw for 270 yards and a touchdown, 21 to 27. He also ran for a score. Derrick Henry, on one hand, didn't like, you know, do his typical 140 to 180, 215 type of yardage performance on. 29, 32, 35 carries. He only had 86 yards and 29 carries against a poorest run defense in Kansas City, his longest run being 11 yards. But, you know, he still had uh, impact on the game through a Tim Tebow-type TD pass to McCole Pruitt to start the scoring. And uh, it was just an overall dominant performance by the Tennessee Titans, who in the second half, basically on offense, took the pedal off the metal and cruised to the victory. The defense for the Titans was outstanding, for the first time this season, the much maligned Tennessee Titans defense, not as much as say the, as far as the defensive side is concerned, Tennessee is not as bad as Kansas City or Atlanta or Washington. But, you know, in a time where the defense was kind of teetering 
on not being not very good against Kansas City, still statistically one of the best de- uh, offenses in the league. They held Kansas City to 334 total yards, 257 yards passing on 51 attempts. They sacked Mahomes four times, pressured him several other times, knocked him out of the game. It was uh, it was an impressive performance. And, and you take a look at Tennessee, there is no reason why, if you take a look at the totality of their team, yet the defense needs to improve. Yet the offensive line has been shaky, man. But but you take a look at a Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, a starting quarterback, not a franchise quarterback, but they have themselves a franchise running back, the best running back in the league, the best old school running back in the league, and quickly developing into really a three-down, two-way type of player in terms of running and passing the, uh, catching the football. And Derrick Henry, that's a franchise player right there who can do so many things for you. And we're speaking about Julio Jones, the acquisition from Atlanta. He's starting to come around, and A.J. Brown uh, establishing himself, himself as one of the better wide receivers in the game. There should be no reason why when you're speaking about Tennessee, that they should not be running away with the AFC South. And if that defense can improve, then, you know, we're looking at a situation where being, you know, set in motion, a situation where Tennessee could be a sneaky contender going forward as the season goes on. But as of right now, we'll get another gauge of how good their team is when they play Indianapolis, where a couple of weeks ago, you would have scoffed, you would have laughed at that notion. But now Indy, has won three of their four last meetings, losing to uh, Tennessee in late September before starting that run. And with that victory at home over the Titans, man, the Colts can move within one game of the division lead with a win. So Carson Wentz, the much maligned Carson Wentz, much maligned and booed out of Philadelphia. Carson Wentz, he was the Ben Simmons of football, shall we say, in terms of the uh, love in terms of the uh, embracement that the uh, Philadelphia Philadelphia sports fan base had with this guy. He was, uh, you know, like, get me out of here. You guys are really going to put in Jalen Hurts and put me to the bench. So the Eagles acquiesced, sent them over to the um, Indianapolis Colts, the uh, reuniting with Frank Reich, the uh, offensive coordinator when Wentz had his best seasons in Philadelphia. Well, it's looking like he's starting to become a starting quarterback again. I'm not ready to go out there and say that he's a franchise quarterback. Not going to say that, but, you know, he's strengthening his position as being a very good starting quarterback. He's completing 64.5% of his throws, 1,600 yards, almost 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns, and one interception. And he's doing this despite the fact that he's playing on two sprained ankles. There was a situation where it was like, oh, Carson Wentz, here we go, injured again, and we know about the injury history of Carson Wentz, and this is going to be another situation where in a pivotal year for Wentz and his, not just his, not just his, you know, being a starter in the National Football League, but I mean, just what type of quarterback are we going to getting, be getting moving forward? Is Carson Wentz going to be destined to be nothing more than a um, backup quarterback or maybe be a an emergency type of quarterback or maybe just be an afterthought of a quarterback if he didn't pan out this season. But so far through uh, eight games or seven games, he's proven that, uh, you know, you put him in the right situation, you put a running game around him, you put a, a couple of weapons around him, and uh, he can be a um, very, very positive starter for you at the quarterback position. The running game, 
for Indianapolis has been excellent. Jonathan Taylor is second in the league and rushing behind Derrick Henry. Rush, he has rushed for 100 yards in four of his last five games. The man is averaging about 15 yards per carry, but, you know, he's averaging, he averaged 10 yards per carry against the Houston Texans. He's averaging five and six yards a carry. With the bell cow for their performance offensively in their in Indianapolis' last performance against the um, San Francisco 49er in the quagmire. So, um, you know, Indy showing a balance on offense. The defense, once again, average but getting better. It's going to be a it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a tall tale game in terms of the AFC South and who's going to be taking over that division, who's going to be real players in that division, and who from that division can become a real player when we're speaking about teams competing for the AFC Championship. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Some of the games, upcoming games this weekend, the early games, we see Carolina at Atlanta. We have Miami at Buffalo, the San Francisco 49ers at Chicago, Pittsburgh at Cleveland. Again, Baker Mayfield looks like he is going to be starting with a torn labrum and his non-throwing shoulder. Philadelphia at Detroit. Ooh, Philadelphia at Detroit. Good grief. Cincinnati at the New York Jets. The Rams are going to be at Houston. Welcome to Los Angeles' homecoming game on the road. The late games include the New England Patriots at the Los Angeles Chargers. This is going to be a this is going to be a good game, a, a gauge game, shall we say, for the Chargers and the Patriots just to see where they stand. The, the Patriots, the Patriots, I don't know. The Patriots, inconsistent so far this season. They look better sometimes in their losses than they have in their wins. Going up against an L.A. Chargers team who we still don't know really what they're all about in terms of the, the team that started out hot and Justin Herbert was supposed to be the second coming, or are they closer to the team that got blown out against the Baltimore Ravens uh, a couple of weeks ago, 34-6. to I'm more inclined to side on the fact that this is one of the better teams in the AFC, and Justin Herbert is going to work things out in the game against Baltimore with nothing more than just a bad day at the office, and this is something that's not going to be a trend. So it's going to be an important game for both the Chargers and the Patriots, for the Patriots more than the Chargers, with the Chiefs, right now, or should I say with Kansas City right now, scumbling in terms of, uh, yes, scumbling, that's a word, look that up, scumbling in terms of what they're trying to do to repeat as division champions. Las Vegas, even though going through their own turmoil off the field with the resignation of John Gruden and everything that went down with that, they have come out and won two games in a row, albeit against Denver and albeit against Philadelphia, one on the road, one at home, but uh, it's going to be important for those guys to try to keep up and see what's going on. And, you know, in the, for the Patriots side of things, and then division where the Buffalo Bills are running away with it in terms of the division lead, the Patriots still have the um, good fortune of playing in the division that has both the New York Jets and the uh, Miami Dolphins. So this is one of these games where, you know, what the Patriots are going to need to get because you just can't feast on the Dolphins and the Jets for the remainder of the season, especially if you're speaking about the Jets, who the Patriots have already played twice, and for the uh, Dolphins also, who have beat them once already to begin the uh, begin the season. So, important game for the Patriots also. So, let me see here. What else have we got? Jacksonville at Seattle. You know what, man? I'm taking a look at this game. Jacksonville at Seattle. Jacksonville might have a chance to win this game. We, we know that they're going to have the better quarterback with the matchup between Trevor Lawrence and... Geno Smith 
It's just going to be a matter of A, what the weather going to be like, B, what nutty thing is Urban Meyer going to do, or as far as the coaching decision is concerned, and uh, C, you know, that Seattle defense, what can they do to cause some turnovers and put the uh, put their offense in a good position to do some things? Don't think that Geno Smith is going to be marching the team down the field consistently for touchdowns and field goals. So this could come down to which team is going to make the least amount of mistakes in terms of turning the ball over. No, I'm not going to use that damn cliche of the the, the determining factor of this game is who's going to be able to control the line of scrimmage and uh, who's going to be able to create uh, less turnovers and who's going to be able to score more points than the other team by the end of the fourth quarter. I think the team that scores the most points by the end of the fourth quarter is going to have the best chance to win the game. And to do that, well, you know, on offense, the team can allow uh, the defensive line to penetrate and cause sacks and cause fumbles and cause interceptions. I think that the running game is going to have to be established. You know, all that bullshit for guys speaking about the game. You ever see these uh, halftime shows? I digress for just for a quick second. You ever see these halftime shows where they have the game of the week? And then they talk about, let's go ahead and talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Jets. Jacksonville in the first half, they ran for 75 yards. Trevor Lawrence has not thrown an interception. Uh, Howie, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, I think it's important, uh, you know, for uh, the uh, Jaguars to do a good job. That Trevor Lawrence has to play mistake-free football. I think that uh, on defense that the Jets have been, uh, I think that uh, Jacksonville has put a lot of pressure on Zach Wilson. They're going to have to get him to uh, turn the ball over a couple of times. And I think that if Jacksonville can still establish Establish that running game, bring the the uh, bring that into the second half. I think it's going to bode well for the Jaguars. Oh, okay, thanks. I thanks for that uh, analysis. Didn't know that one, but I digress. Now I'm back to non-digressing. So Jacksonville at Seattle, my Washington Snyderskins at Denver, Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Let me back up a little bit. Washington at Denver. Washington now at two and five. I was. <laughs> I was uh, just taking a look at my uh, my my Washington Snyder skins, and Ron Rivera was up there talking about, hey, you know what? For the Green Bay game, we uh, we had a great week of practice, and during the game, you know, we played hard, we tried hard, no one didn't quit. What in the flaming fuck are you talking about, Coach? Seriously, that's what we're grading it on now. Hey, everything is rosy. Everything should be positive or, you know, everything, you know, some of the things that some of the good things that were taken from the game was we didn't give up. That's that's supposed to make me say hip hip hooray. That's supposed to get me dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie or dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. We played hard. We didn't quit. And we had a great week of practice. Well, whoop the damn do. What is that going to get me? What, what? How much? How many points do you get? Do we get an extra seven points in that game to say, well, you know, they did play hard. Who played harder, the Packers or the uh, Washington football team? No, the Washington football team did? Well, then, hell, give them seven extra points and take three points away from the Packers. And who had a better week of practice? Oh, the Washington football team did? Well, then add on another four points, and we'll take another two points off for the uh, Green Bay Packers. So now what's the final score? I don't give a damn about that. That's Who cares? I'm supposed to be cheering about that. I'm supposed to be in a in a glorious mood about that because we played hard during the game. We lost. Congratulations. We played our asses off. We played harder than Green Bay, and we still lost by two touchdowns. That's supposed to put me in a in in a, in a good mood. That's supposed to make my uh, uh, thoughts and feelings about Washington moving forward, uh, you know, rosy and happy. 
goodness grace. And uh, Taylor, Tyler Haneke, I don't know that motherfucker's name, but, you know, this fucking jackass is going to uh, get into the end zone, try to get into the end zone, has his knee down at the one-yard line, jumps into the, does the Lambo leap with the one Washington football fan that's out there. And then after after the game, he's like, well, you know, hey, Always wanted to do it, so, you know, whoop de damn do I mean, what the fuck are we talking about here, Ron? That motherfucker should be benched right there. He's more, he's like, hey, you know what? I made a fucking fool out of myself. And on top of all of those things, that same possession that we had the football at the one-yard line on fourth down, we didn't score because I fumbled the football. And he's more up there cheering and saying, hey, no big fucking deal during that possession because he got to leap into the uh, stands. What the fuck's the matter with us? That's what we're deduced to? Put that sorry motherfucker on the bench. You know what? You can do all the fucking Lambo leaping that you want to on the bench while we're trying to win a football game. Man, I told you. I told, I told you, I told you, I told you. I'm digressing right now. I apologize. I told you, but I told you, I told you. When everybody, all the Washington football fans were cheering Alex Smith and we're division champs and this is awesome and this is wonderful and this is great. I was sitting up there. I was the only one who had to keep explaining myself. Look, I am a Washington football fan. I really am. But come on, man. Let's take a look at the big picture in this. What are we going to do? What I want us to go 0-16. And I know that's blasphemy, and I know that's wrong, and I know that's me being a bad fan and all this kind of stuff at the surface. But I was like, man, this season, more than anything, I want us to go 0-16. Why? Because I want Trevor fucking Lawrence. And if we can't go 0-16, well then hell, let's go 1-15. And if we can't go 1-15, let's go 2-14. Let's put us in a position at the time, at the time, because I didn't know so much about Trey Lance. I didn't know Mac Jones was going to explode for Alabama his junior year like he did. And I had no idea of who Trey Lance was or Zach Wilson was, the quarterback that were picked in the uh, first round, hiding the first round. My thoughts and feelings and concentration was on I, who I thought were going to be the first two quarterbacks taken in the draft, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So going into last season, for me being a Washington football fan, a lifelong Washington football fan, I said, man, we have got to be the worst team in the league. Or If we're not going to be the worst team in the league, then we've got to be the second worst because I want a quarterback. I need a quarterback. At the time, Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to cut it. Dwayne Haskins was, was going to be our guy. Dwayne Haskins was supposed to be our guy. And I was like, no, no, no. Even best case scenario, Dwayne Haskins. I didn't want Dwayne Haskins. If we had the opportunity to get a generational great quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, and at the time, a guy who I thought was going to be great as an NFL pro, Justin Fields. He still might. He still might. He still might. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence is the real deal. So I was like, man, I want us to lose every fucking game because even I remember the game a couple of seasons ago against the New York Giants when both teams stunk out loud. And in overtime, New York won. Daniel Jones threw a pass, and the majority of New York Giant fans at the uh, at, at uh, FedEx Field, where the uh, football team for Washington plays, they had taken over because, you know, Washington fans had to fuck it another losing season. I ain't going to support Daniel Snyder or this bullshit. I ain't going out to the... Uh, 
I ain't going out to the uh, stadium to watch them play. And so it was a very loud pro New York Giant fan base. And they were cheering and, oh, yeah, yeah, we won in overtime. We came back and won. And I was fucking ecstatic. I was like, yes, we lost. Yes, yes, yes. Now, why would I say that being a huge fan of the Washington football team? Because it put us in position to get ourselves chase flipping young, baby. Hell yeah. Don't mess this damn thing up by winning a football game in week 13 or week 14 and miss us an opportunity to get ourselves a generational great defensive end. Yes! Now, if I knew that Justin Herbert was going to be Justin Herbert, you know, but still at the time, it was like, you know, Chase Young was supposed to be, you know, this, that, and the other. And Chase Young is still going to be, I think, a great, 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 great football player. Great, 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 great defensive end. And... Yeah, Justin Herbert, yeah, boy, he'd be pretty nice. But, you know, it's like the Luka Doncic, Trey Young deal. You know, it's like, yeah, Luka would be great. Yeah, if Luka was on the land, he'd be great. But damn, you know what? Trey Young ain't that bad either. He might not reach the levels of Luka, but we can win a championship with Trey as the uh, as our main guy, as our franchise player. I'm still saying that with the Washington football team. Yeah, it looks like possibly maybe we should have gone with Justin. But hey, you know what? Mm-mm, I'm still down with Chase Young, because I still think Chase Young is going to be that guy. I think he's going to be that good. So at the time, I was like, yes, yes, we lost. We got Chase Young. And bringing it all back to uh, last season, when we started, and I'm saying, uh, yeah, I'm saying we. When we started winning, I was like, no, no, no. And with each win, and with each Jacksonville and New York loss, I was like, we're not going to get the number one pick. We are not going to get the number one pick. And as we got closer to the playoffs, I was like, hell, we're not going to even get, we're not going to even get Mac Jones. We're not going to get Justin Fields. We're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. And we're not going to get Mac Jones. And we're going to keep rolling with either Alex Smith or Dwayne Haskins. So that means we're not going anywhere. And everybody was partying and like, yeah, all right. Good one. We won the NFC East. Yeah, all right. Great. Seven to nine. Who cares? We're champions of the NFC East. Woohoo. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? What the fuck does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. We didn't win the division with 11-5 or 10-6, even 9-7. We won a division because no one else was good enough to win it. Everybody in that division sucked. So we won. We were the least of the sucking in terms of winning that division. So what does that mean? I don't care. We won the division. We won the division. I don't give a fuck. Great. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means we're going to play Tampa Bay. We're going to lose. And then where do we go from there? What do we do from there? Well, we can, you know, we can use this season and this playoff experience to move forward and this, that, and the other. Move forward to what? How are we going to move forward with Dwayne Haskins being our quarterback? How are we, well, he was going by then. How are we going to move forward with Taylor Heineke or Alex Smith or Kyle Allen being our quarterback? Where are we moving to? How are we moving? What, you think the defense that we have, even the brightest of situations or prognostications, we can't win every game 13 to 10? We're not going to build a dynasty. We're not winning Super Bowls by winning games 17 to 14 or 21 17. We need some flipping offense. We need a quarterback. Damn, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence would have given us a quarterback. And not just a quarterback, a potentially generational great quarterback. 
And we're up here dancing around and celebrating because we won the NFC least with a 7-9 record? Like all of a sudden, the opportunity not to draft those two was, who cares this, because we won the NFC East? Oh, man, I'm sorry to get angry, but man, it's just like we're, this is what happens. We didn't make a move and to try to move up to get any of those guys. So this is our situation. This is our situation. Our defense has regressed. The secondary sucks. We don't have anybody as far as really skilled players outside of McLaurin on offense. Everybody else is serviceable at best, running back, tight end. Our quarterback is, is junk, is garbage, as far as being NFL uh, being for being an NFL starting quarterback is concerned. Where does that leave us? Where are we going? What is happening? What are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, that's right. We're two and five. And as Dallas with, oh, I don't know, a real flipping quarterback, an MVP type caliber quarterback in Dak Prescott, and you have such weapons as C.D. Lamb and you have a running game with Tony Pollard and uh, Zeke Elliott and you have a strong offensive line. When are we ever going to be able to compete with Dallas? When? When? Because Ron Rivera's idea of building a team is to build the team around a quarterback, and then when you're ready to compete, to plop in a quarterback. What quarterback can we plop in there? Where's the plop of a quarterback? There is no plop. No plopping here. You don't win Super Bowls by plopping at the quarterback position. You do it by drafting or getting lucky in free agency like the uh, Saints did with uh, Drew Brees. <sighs> hey, but we won the division last year at 7-9. Woohoo! Hail to the... All right, man. Jeez, unbelievable. But all of that is to say they're at Denver on Sunday and win or lose. I mean, I don't know. Does it really matter? 3-5, and 2-6. and six, Does it really matter? Because we could lose the rest of our games. We could be 2-15. and 15. Who are we going to draft? Spencer Rattler? Oh, I'm sorry. He can't even start for Oklahoma. Who are we going to start? Who are we going to draft? What quarterback in the first round is going to be worthy of a high first round pick? Who? The kid from Cincinnati? The kid from Mississippi? Who? Who? Try to convince Bryce Young to... No, forget it. <laughs> we're, 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 we're just going to be shit for a couple of years in the quarterback position. But hey, we, at least we got a quarterback who is more motivated to jump into the fucking stands at Lambeau Field than scoring a touchdown. Hooray for us. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Sunday night game, Dallas at Miami. Excuse me, Dallas at Minnesota. And then the Monday night game, the Giants at the Kansas City football team. Dallas is still rolling. Kansas City. I don't know. even know what you can deduce even if they win, I guess we got to uh, take a look at how they win. If they let's just say they go out and they blow out the uh, Giants at home, what does it mean? Does it mean that we're you know back in the saddle again? We're, we're back to normal again. We've turned the corner. What happens if the performance by Kansas City Monday night is, I don't know, not earth shattering, just meh, decent, fine, good? What does that mean? What, what what type of uh, level of hope would that uh, bring to the Kansas City football fans across the globe? If they're just if they're just good. You know, they did what they had to do. Nothing spectacular, nothing wonderful. They, but they got the win because the Giants stink out loud. And heaven forbid, what happens if either the performance by Kansas City is poor or they lose? They lose at home to uh, New York. Then I think week eight of the season... 
the Kansas City football team being three and five, I think it will be time to uh, be very, 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 very concerned uh, if that happens. But I doubt if that happens. I have no, I have no idea how Kansas City is going to play, but uh, I think that they'll play well enough to win the football game. To what measuring degree in terms of, phew, we're back on track and that type of thing, I don't know. That's why we watch the games. That's why sports is the best reality show on television because we actually have to watch the game to find out exactly what happens. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I want to hit this real quick because this is something that I saw in a Yahoo Sports. Who wrote this? Uh, Jeff Eisenberg wrote this. And um, he was speaking about, uh, what's da, 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 he was talking about um, trading for Deshaun Watson, becoming a moral dilemma for fans. And basically, in the article, what it's speaking about is that, you know, hey, there's fan bases that are apprehensive because of some of the things that Watson is going to bring to the table. Do they want that type of person? Do they want that type of character on their football team? Uh, because from this week, Deshaun Watson has is open now to trade destinations beside Miami as Carolina emerges as an option at the beginning. And then Carolina was like, yeah, no thanks. How much is, uh, how much is Sam Darnold guarantee from us? 18 million. Now nah, we're going to hold on. So sources told ESPN Watson, who has a no trade clause in his contract is willing to consider multiple options for a new team. As the trade deadline draws near and multiple teams are already interested in Watson, and he will consider potential options as they come. As I mentioned before, one of the teams was the Carolina Panthers. So in this article, there's this guy out here in Winston-Salem. Patrick Robertson is his name in the article. And they say in his garage at his home, he has 75 Carolina Panther jerseys hanging from his walls or hanging from the walls, many of them framed and autographed. Okay. Now, Robertson intends to grow his collection until he has no more wall space, but would not put Deshaun Watson's jersey on his wall if he became a Carolina Panther. And what he told Yahoo Sports, he said, quote, I don't think it's, a, it's the right move. I'm a family person. I want my kids to treat others as they wish to be treated. So it's hard for me to take them to a football game and ask them to cheer for my team, knowing that the guy throwing the ball wouldn't be a good role model for them. Oh, Jesus. For me, with the allegations, it's a no. Once asked if he would, the reason why he wouldn't put a Deshaun Watson jersey on his wall if the Panthers went ahead and acquired the services of Deshaun Watson. My question for him is, I'm, I'm not doubting his sincerity. I don't know the man, so I don't know. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say all oh, bullshit and, you know, you're wrong and this, that, and the other. The first question I would ask is on that wall, did you ever have the Carolina jersey of Greg Hardy? Because if you had the Carolina jersey of Greg Hardy on your wall, then you are truly a 100, 1,000% hypocrite. After what that piece of shit, after what that motherfucker, after that guy who deserved to be in a cage or in a grave did to that woman in Charlotte, his ex-girlfriend. That man damn near killed that woman. I wouldn't wish... I wouldn't wish, outside of maybe Candace Owens and Laura Ingram and a couple of others, I wouldn't wish that kind of punishment from anybody on any female in terms of what he did to her. I mean, that was horrible. That was terrible. Absolutely, positively terrible. That guy, Greg Hardy, that is a disgusting, horrible human being for what he did. Horrible. And he played for the Carolina Panthers. And then after that, after those charges, he went ahead and played for the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys made the team captain. 
But getting back to uh, Patrick Robinson, Robertson, I would ask him during that time of him putting jerseys on his walls, was one of them Greg Hardy or was Greg Hardy on your wall and then you found out what he did and you removed him immediately and burned his jersey. Of all the jackasses who like burning Colin Kaepernick's jerseys because you're too fucking stupid to uh, realize what's going on in the world, I would definitely applaud anybody who would sit there and burn a uh, burn a, um, a Greg Hardy Carolina Panther or Dallas Cowboy jersey. Now that's what we're talking about. Or at least give that jersey to someone who needs it, someone who's down on their luck or someone who's homeless and needs some clothing or something like that. But yeah, man, I mean, so that would be my... That would be my question to uh, Mr. Robertson. Again, I'm not going to judge him one way or the other in terms of you should uh, you should uh, go ahead and embrace Deshaun Watson coming here. That's not for me to say, even though the role model and all that kind of bullshit. I mean, if you're, you're really looking for the football player to be a role model for your son. What are you doing with your son? I mean, shouldn't a parent, again, I'm not a parent, so I don't know. I'm just a child of a parent who... You know what, Magic Johnson, growing up, Magic Johnson and Dave Stewart and Kirby Puckett and Eric Dickerson and Len Bias and all those guys and Muhammad Ali, those all those guys were my heroes, but they weren't my role models because when I got in trouble, I didn't look for Muhammad Ali or John McEnroe or Yvonne Lendl or Sugar Ray Leonard or, uh, you know, Patrick Ewing or John Thompson or or anybody who played for Maryland or Georgetown's basketball team at that time, or Magic Johnson or James Worthy or Byron Scott or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Eric Dickerson or Warren Moon, all those guys who I bowed down and praised and loved as a kid. And I, when I got in trouble, I didn't look I didn't look for them to bail me out or to help me out. I looked for my dad to or my mom to. When I knew I was going to get my ass whooped for doing something really stupid, I knew that Eric Dickerson wasn't going to be there to save the day. So I learned my stuff from my mom and my dad. So if Mr. Robertson is a good dad, which I would think he would probably say he is, then it really doesn't matter who's playing for the Carolina Panther because that's not going to be your children's role model. You are. And it becomes even stronger as they grow older in terms of, yeah, you know, I'm far as, you know, being a guy who I'm going to emulate as a ball player or as an athlete, it will be them. But who I'm going to emulate as a human being, as a full, full-fledged person, is going to be either my mom or my dad. So I don't know. That's just me. But interesting for him to say, you know, the old, "Hey, I need to treat, I need to teach my kids that, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, to be good kids. And if they're going to have role models, you know, do I really want them to have Deshaun Watson as a role model? Well, what's why, why, I mean, why would uh, Deshaun Watson be your son's role model? Why would Deshaun Watson be your child's role model or your kid's role model? Shouldn't that be you? I don't give a damn if Deshaun Watson goes out and throws for throws for um, 1,000 yards every game and you never lose. I mean, when push comes to shove, isn't the, isn't, you know, aren't you the role model for your kids no matter what Deshaun Watson does or didn't do or whatever? So, just asking, just, just asking from a guy who doesn't have any kids. So just, you know, just throwing it out there. A poll taken by the Palm Beach Post uh, in Florida this week asking if they would want Watson on their team. More than two-thirds of those who responded to a recent Palm Beach poll 
post poll preferred passing on Watson. You see that passing on Watson, pretty good, and showing faith in Tua Tungavailoa. I guess they weren't ready to sack the idea of replacing Tungavailoa with Deshaun Watson. That's something right there that uh, would draw an unnecessary roughness uh, with the fan base. So the Miami Dolphins, you know, they've been through twenty-three starting quarterbacks, right? Between now and Dan Marino. When was the last quarterback worth a damn who played for Miami, not named Dan Marino? And now you have an opportunity to get Deshaun Watson, 26 years old, entering his prime. And you're up there talking about, well, I don't know. You'd rather go with Tua Tungavailoa, who so far hasn't shown anything near what Deshaun Watson's putting down. On Monday, two Denver Post writers debated the Watson question. Both concluded that without further clarity about his legal issues, Watson is too radioactive for the Broncos to touch the Denver Broncos also. What have they done since uh, John Elway? I mean, what, are we going to go with the great Brian Greasy? That's that's the uh, that's the only one worth a damn between now and what um, John Elway was doing? I mean, Peyton Manning, sorry. <laughs> But that was only for a couple of years. Give me some, give me a break. That was he was only there for a short term. I'm talking about for a you know talking about for the uh, long term. I mean, what else? What do we got here? You've been through twelve different starting quarterbacks the past six seasons. So you've got uh, John Elway, a little respite with Peyton Manning. Thank you Jesus. And then after that, you've gone through twelve different quarterbacks. Some drafted in the first round. Some decided big free agent acquisitions. I mean, you know, so far. No good in terms of, uh, you know, doing that. Even John Elway couldn't uh, get himself a quarterback worth a damn outside of uh, Peyton Manning to help out his cause. So both Carolina and Denver then said that, you know what, we're not going to pursue Watson at the trade deadline nears. And uh, the Dolphins seem to be the only one. But this past Wednesday, Steve owner, uh, uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross said he wouldn't he would not move forward on a trade without the allegations against Watson being settled in clarity from the NFL on what sort of punishment the quarterback is going to face. So we still don't know anything about that. So this is a situation where it was like, look, man, Deshaun is being uh, accused of some pretty disgusting things. 23 women have accused him of sexual misconduct or assault. 22 have filed civil lawsuits against him. I mean, that's a lot of coin, man. I'm glad he signed that contract, and I'm glad he's getting paid because there's going to be a lot of uh, females that are going to need to be paid off. So the lawsuit accuses Watson of preying on women who worked as licensed massage therapists or in a spa or similar businesses. The women allege that Watson exposed himself in front of them, inappropriately kissed them, uh, inappropriately touched them with his penis. Oh, God. And kissed or groped them against their will. Jeez, a flip. At least one woman alleges that Watson forced her to perform oral sex. Okay, this. Mm. Police, uh, Houston police have reportedly investigated Watson, but thus far he faces no criminal charges. And Watson has denied any wrongdoings. Bill Cosby denied any wrongdoings also. How did that turn out for him? But, um, I don't know. I look. I don't know how, I don't, I don't, I'm not the moral police. I don't know. It's just, some of this stuff to me sounds hypocritical for some of the fan bases. All right. Like, you know, like folks down in um, Florida who are sitting there talking about, yeah, I can't have someone with low morals or low character, uh, you know, play football for a quarterback. It'd be hard. It'd be hard for me to cheer uh, someone, a team like that. If, you know, Deshaun Watson was on, was on my team at the starting quarterback. 
man, I, I'm sorry. Didn't we just have four years before Joe Biden got into presidents, got into the White House? Didn't we have four years of one of the lowest pieces of shit running our country, representing our country, being the face of the world? I'm sorry, Florida, didn't you vote for that piece of shit not only once but twice? The man who said that, oh yeah, you know, I can grab a woman by the pussy anytime I want to and because I'm a celebrity, I can get, get away with it? Wasn't this the same state who voted for that piece of shit, that antichrist who sat up there and was talking about, hey, you know what, big fucking deal, hey, and you know, a fucking Stormy Daniels, and I'm doing that while my wife is pregnant and all this kind of bullshit. I mean, all those transgressions just on top of that piece of shit whose name I will not say, but you know who I'm talking about, the last person who had the job of president in name only? I mean, wasn't, wasn't that guy... Um, I don't know, a fucking scumbag to the nth degree and we put him in charge or Florida said it was okay that he should be in charge of my life and your life and your loved one's life and be the leader of the free world. I mean, Florida didn't have any problem putting that motherfucker in the White House for four years and would have done it for four more years but yet and still there's some people out there who are sitting there talking about yeah, you know, Deshaun Watson that's the starting quarterback for our football team. Yeah, really not, really not digging it. Really? Really? All of a sudden now this country has gotten morals? All of a sudden now this country has gotten a conscious? All of a sudden now this country starts to care about someone else? Hey, I'm fucking sorry but 74, 74 million people in this past election said, nah, fuck that bullshit. We don't give a damn about morals. We don't give a damn about truth. We don't give a damn about competency. We don't give a damn about transparency. We don't give a damn about any type of decency in someone's being. We don't give a fuck. We're gonna put, the, we're gonna see what we can do to put that motherfucker back in the White House. And yet still we have people running around talking about, oh my goodness, Deshaun Watson can't be our quarterback because doing that would not, would, would somehow, some way tarnish my love and affection for that franchise and for that organization? Really? 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 Now, I'm not saying that everybody who feels this way voted for that piece of shit that was just in the White House. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that the people who are saying that are disingenuous or wrong or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. You have every single right to feel that way. You have every single right to say, you know what, man? If you're going to bring that, what he did... I'm not going to even say it again because it's disgusting. But what Deshaun Watson did, nah, man, I can't fly with that. I can't do it. It had nothing to do with him being a role model. It had nothing to do with, you know, my children and all of that kind of stuff. It's just what he did was so abhorrent and against everything that I stand for. I can't do it. I can't cheer. I can't, I can't, I can't go ahead. Yeah, I know the Dolphins have been a, a laughing stock. I, I know Denver has had some problems at quarterback. Yeah, I know Carolina right now, the dumpster fire. And yeah, I love the Panthers or... I love the Broncos, or I love the Dolphins just as much as anybody. My grandfather and my uncle, and, you know, we're huge. I come from a huge family of folks who just love these football teams, and I've got my jerseys and all this kind of stuff. But, man, if you go ahead and you bring that guy in here, if you go ahead and you bring in the Deshaun Watson, I'm done. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It's not like women should be more outraged in terms of if that organization, if those organizations bring in, <clears throat> someone like a Deshaun Watson. I get it. And I understand it, man. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to call your names. I'm not going to say you're wrong. You have every single right. And I respect your right to say, I'm done. I'm done. You bring that man in, I'm done. You know, I'm not going to watch another football game. I'm divorced. My relationship with you guys is over. Every single sense of the way. 
And every Sunday instead, I'll go ahead and I'll cheer for another team or I'll just go ahead and read a book or hang out with my kids or go for a walk or I don't know, do another hobby. Get it, respect it, understand it. But if you're sitting up there and you're going to try to tell me that in the last election you voted for that piece of shit and, you have, and you're going to sit up there and tell me that we can't fucking have this guy as our starting quarterback because what he did, you are a hypocrite! <laughs> me? Hey, man, you know, I don't like what Deshaun Watson did. It's abhorrent. It's horrible. It's disgusting. It's terrible. But, hey, for that football team in Washington, we've been a laughingstock. We've been a joke for decades. Bring that man onto my team. Have him pay off those women, set them up for life. Let the legal system do what they need to do, do what the NFL needs to do with them, suspend them for a couple of games or whatever. But man, for the start of the 2022 season, I want to see Deshaun Watson on my flipping football team. Please, please. Yeah, it's going to be tougher. Yeah, it's going to, but you know what, man? Let me just see Taylor Heineke, you know, fall down at the one yard line when he's going up for a touchdown and then run over like a little bitch and run into the stands for a Lambo loop and say, hey, that's cool. As we continue to lose game after game after game and my resistance toward having Deshaun Watson be the quarterback of my football team becomes less and less and less. And it'll be interesting to see those folks who still have that attitude now, let's say, for instance, for Carolina. Let's see you have the same Darnold experience if he's going to continue to play football like this for another five, six, eight, nine weeks and be like, you know what? Shit, man. I mean, we're going to have to put up with this guy again for next year, too. How many Super Bowls have we won? None. How many Super Bowls have we been to? One. <laughs> How many Super Bowls have I seen in my lifetime Carolina winning? None. How many times have I seen Carolina do anything worth a damn in my lifetime of watching Carolina football, loving Carolina football, bleeding the colors of Carolina football, buying the merchandise of Carolina football, playing to go see the games of Carolina football? How many times have I been... Like, you know, like, hip, hip, hooray, this is awesome. What a magical, wonderful experience. Something I can tell my kids and grandkids about. Zero. And who are we bringing back at the quarterback next year? Sam Darnold? I mean, I mean, you know, we are a country of second chances, right? I mean, I mean, okay, I mean, he didn't rape the women. I don't know. I just, you know, all, all those barriers of no, 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 no start to come down when it's like, damn. Oof, Deshaun Watson on our team, huh? 26, 27 years old, huh? And he's going to play like that for another 8 to 10 years to play at that level, huh? Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. I love this winning the right way. You can't bring in Deshaun Watson. We need to win the right way. What the fuck does that mean? What does winning the right... This is the National Football League, y'all. You're going to try to tell me, what is winning the right way? Name me a team that had a bunch of choir boys on it and we won the right... Did the Patriots win the right way when they had Aaron Hernandez on their team? No one's taking back their Super Bowls. <laughs> you know? I mean, goodness gracious, how many guys who play football, who are employed by franchises of the National Football League have been accused, convicted of striking women, physical harm to women, driving drunk, obstructing justice in a double murder dog fighting, drunk driving and killing people. I mean, winning the right way? You know what winning the right way means? Doing everything humanly possible to have more points than the other team at the end of the fourth quarter. And if you do that long enough, then you can have the opportunity to have the opportunity to score more points than the other team at the end of the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl. 
I don't give a damn, man. You could, for the Washington football team, you could dig up Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, uh, 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 I don't know, Patrick Kearney, Parole Wayne Williams, get a couple of more serial killers out there. If they can fucking play football and have the Washington football team win a Super Bowl or three, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, 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 would, yeah, I would love to have I would have the, I would love to have 45 guys who resemble Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Helen Keller in, you know on their on, on my football team that that would be awesome that that would be great that would be wonderful but guess what man life doesn't work out that way <laughs> Just, that, that's not happening that's not happening you're gonna have some bad apples you're gonna have some bad human beings you're just gonna have some bad guys on your team but if they can play screw it what do you want them to do I mean, Deshaun Watson, what do you want to happen to Deshaun Watson if he's not going to go to jail? The man's going to have to get a job somewhere, right? The man's going to have to work somewhere, right? I mean, the man, what do you want the man to be, homeless? You want him to be a bum? You want him to be out there in Skid Row? I mean, what exactly, what punishment do you want Deshaun Watson? Do you want him in a cage? Do you want him in a grave? All right, I mean, but, you know, if he's not going to be in either one of those predicaments, a cage or a grave, if he's going to be walking around society, if he's going to be in society, what do you want him to be? What do you want him to do? You don't want him to be a quarterback for a National Football League team, but you'll take him as what? You're a grocer. You'll take him as a guy sweeping the streets. You'll take him as an account executive. You'll take him at your at your local pharmacy. I don't mean I don't know exactly. You know, the man's gonna have to work if he's not going to prison. You know, I don't want I don't want anybody giving him anything. So I don't know, man. I don't know the. The whole moral dilemma, but in this country, my goodness gracious, we just vote, 74 million stupid motherfuckers just voted for a fucking ass clown with no, with no human decency whatsoever, and you got people out here talking about, well, shit, we can have Deshaun Watson as our quarterback, I mean, he would be a bad role model for our kids, and we wouldn't win the right way, oh, for God fucking sakes, welcome to my country, welcome to our world, y'all. There we go, so, interesting dilemma, but then again, as I mentioned before, it's, it's, a little complex, but yeah, you John Watson comes available. Daniel Snyder, please get uh, without you know. I mean, if it means you know having to <sighs> sacrifice one of our uh, young defensive studs outside of Chase Young, as uh, far as that defensive line is concerned, giving up some draft picks and whatever, please do what you need because I want that man, Deshaun Watson. I'm sorry to say it, y'all. I want that man, Deshaun Watson, as quarterback on my football team. You can catch me in your tenement, doing too much drugs, straight Jimmy Hendrickson, pop the drink on my mom's on dope, pick up their bad habits, not a guard through both, popping some pills, sniffing the line, drinking some wine, up in the club, tapping my gun, fucking with Sean, Clowns want the crown, but they only one king. I'm the king that's rock, the biz none higher. Bitch ass niggas better call me Sire. Burn my kingdom, must use fire. Big bag of weed, the Duchess of Easy Water, yo. Drug addict, drug habit and all. Bust mad as false static, I ain't fucking with y'all. Don't get my hands dirty, I got goons that spray. Quick to kill a motherfucker like Boombaye. True high, what up? Wendell's World in Sports. 
I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Man, I'm going to have to shut my NBA. I'm going to cut down on my NBA talk and my college football talk because I went uh, a little bit overboard what I was talking about in terms of the Arizona Cardinals, where they're going, and the Green Bay Packers, whether they're doing, and lamenting about my Washington Snyderskins missing on an opportunity to get themselves a quarterback and they see the position that they're in right now and why losing sometimes is really winning when you're speaking about the big picture and talking about the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans, that game that's going to be going down this weekend and of course talking about the whole Deshaun Watson deal. Should we want him? Should we not want him? Why should we not want him? Why should we want him? And again, I, 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 I'm not talking about, for those, you're in your right. If you really have a problem, if you really have umbrage with Deshaun Watson being the quarterback of your franchise, you have every right to say, you know what, man, that's just going one step too far for me. Really, I just find it distasteful. I just find it something where I can't root for. Knowing what he's alleged of doing, and even, you know, we don't have all of the facts. The fact that, you know, he, I think that he did these things, I just can't deal in terms of sitting there and then cheering him the way that he treated those women. Understandable. Understandable if you have those feelings. My only my only take, my only question would be, again, you know, the, the NFL football squad, the NFL football league is filled with guys who are racist, who are filled with guys who have homophobic views, who are filled with guys who are, you know, overflowing with ignorance on certain things, a sense of entitlement, all of those type of things. It, it, it happens. And how deep... Does it go in locker rooms? I don't know. I don't think it's a prevailing thought. Don't think that it's an overwhelming uh, thing when you're taking a look at the employees who play football for uh, professional football league teams. But those are things that are going on that are swirling around in the locker room. So when people speak about, you know, I don't want to be cheering on a team where, you know, they have us, they have someone who has this type of behavior or they're not winning the right way or, or something like that. I, I really don't get where you're coming from because like I mentioned before, there are no 45 players that have the DNA of a Martin Luther King, of a Gandhi, of a Helen Keller, of a, of a do-gooder or, or those type of things. So, and especially when you're speaking about, again, this country, all of a sudden people in this country who voted for the for the person that was in the White House before for four years and then thought it was cool to vote for him again, you're going to go ahead and vote for him. Then on the other hand, sit there and say, well, I can't root for a football team because of the person that they're bringing in at quarterback and all the things that he's accused of. Eh, really don't uh, think that meshes with me. You're going to have to explain yourself a little bit more in terms of how can you vote for one person who is a complete piece of garbage and a um, complete lowlife and everything else that falls under that category, vote for him and then say it's okay to uh, say, you know what, enough's enough in terms of bringing in a quarterback um, to be the starting quarterback for your football team. So those are this, just some of the things that I'm speaking about. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us now switching very quickly to the NBA. I mean, so far, I really don't know in terms of you know, what to make of this NBA season. You take a look four games in, five games in, uh, six games in for some. The Knicks, the Charlotte Hornets, they won four out of their first five. The Chicago Bulls winning four out of their first five. My Washington Wizards winning four out of their first five. The Miami Heat winning three out of their last four. You take a look at the defending champions, Milwaukee Bucks, sitting at three and two. You're taking a look at the Eastern Conference finalist, Atlanta Hawks, sitting at three and two. You're taking a look at the Brooklyn Nets, who many people feel are 
are the favorites to win this season's NBA championship. They're sitting there at two and three and everything else in between is like, yeah, okay. Interesting. The fact that, you know, you take a look at the Brooklyn Nets and as I mentioned before, there's going to be starting the scuttlebutt in terms of the questions they're going to be asked by the media. If the uh, Nets continue to lose, man, what's up with Kyrie Irving? Do you think you would have won with Kyrie Irving? Have you heard anything from Kyrie Irving? What's the status in Kyrie Irving? Do you think Kyrie Irving's coming back? Could you have won this game if Kyrie Irving was there? Kyrie Irving, have you heard from him? This stuff is going to start to crop up more and more and more and the season goes along. And if the uh, Nets continues to lose like they're losing, my my thing is this, man. I mean, it's a long flipping season. You still have, in terms of the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, what, 77 games left to go? In a situation where last year we saw that you didn't need to play a whole bunch of games with a whole bunch of minutes in terms of Kyrie, KD, and James Harden to uh, get to a, a place where they could have won a championship. They were looking fine going into the playoffs until Kyrie got injured, until James Harden got injured. Now you come back in this season and KD when you're removed from tearing that Achilles and now you have the experience of not only playing in limited amount of games and minutes during the regular season his first season playing with the Brooklyn Nets but then having that triumphant performance in the Olympics this summer he's rip roaring ready to go don't think the Nets are going to be playing him 82 games and playing him 35 36 minutes a game a game but if Durant can somehow get in, squeeze in somewhere between an 82-game schedule, I don't know, 65 to 72 games out of 82, and he's going to be averaging somewhere in the low to mid-30s during those games, the Brooklyn Nets ultimately will be fine once James Harden gets himself back into shape, coming in a little bit chunky, shall we say. He said that, uh, you know, he really didn't have the opportunity to train in the offseason like he normally does because he had to uh, rehabilitate the injury that he had laid on late in the uh, season. So he's rounding himself into shape, not getting to the free throw line like he used to. The rule changes in terms of how players can monopolize and manipulate the referees into uh, baiting them to make a call to send them through the line with some of the actions and non-basketball shot uh, uh, forms that they have is taking some time for James to get used to. But you're, you're speaking about Harden being one of the top seven, eight players in the NBA. I'm going to go on the assumption that the Brooklyn Nets, James Harden is going to be fine. And the wild card, of course, is Kyrie Irving. And as I mentioned before, with him, man, it's a situation where we go day to day in terms of what he's going to do. So we don't know about that. So I think when everything is all said and done, the Brooklyn Nets along with the Milwaukee Bucks will be fine. The Bucks being three and two, Giannis playing like a monster. His free throw shooting has been extraordinary for him. He's getting to the line anywhere between eight, nine, ten plus times a game. He's shooting in the, you know, in the high percentage mark of those. And if I mentioned before, if he could add six to seven more points to his scoring average, by hitting his free throws, then the league is going to be his oyster in terms of his dominance is concerned. I don't give I don't give a damn what Kevin Durant does. I don't give a damn what Steph Curry does. I don't give a damn what LeBron or AD or anybody else does. If the last vestige of how to stop Giannis, which is to foul him and put him on the line, if that goes by the wayside and he's being a little bit more consistent with his three-point making, good Lord have mercy. The Milwaukee Bucks have nothing to worry about. Drew Holiday has missed games because of injury. Brooke Lopez has not been in there. Dante DiVincenzo had not been in there. So you're speaking about three of the starters for Milwaukee uh, missing time so far this season. Again, when we get to April, when we get to May, when the 
playoff starts. You have the Milwaukee Bucks, everything remaining uh, copacetic in terms of Giannis remaining relatively healthy, Middleton remaining relatively healthy, and then getting Holiday and Lopez back. I think everything will be five. And you also have to remember there might be a trade chip. There might be a waiver wire pickup near the uh, end of the regular season or that time period in the regular season where a veteran who can add some consistency, add some production off the bench and maybe 12, 15, 18 minutes a game could be looking to go to a team like the Milwaukee Bucks to pursue a championship. So, so far, the Milwaukee Bucks have nothing to worry about, even though I mentioned before they've won three out of their first five games, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Already talked about what's happening with the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm not going to turn this into a Los Angeles Lakers show, especially when you're speaking about the Lakers. Again, five games into the season, two of the games that they played, one in one without LeBron James, who's resting nursing a sore ankle. I think as we move along this season, Anthony Davis is going to have to be that guy. He's going to have to be the focal point, the main point of the of the um, team, especially on offense. And it was interesting to see Russell Westbrook go back to his old self in terms of the usage rate, in terms of the ball handling, in terms of, of the decision-making, how many times he has the ball in, the, in his hands, reminiscent of his time in Oklahoma City and most recently with the Wizards, not so much with the Houston Rockets when you're going to compare his usage rate to Oklahoma and Washington. But uh, yeah, some strange lineups in that game against Oklahoma City that was being thrown out by Frank Vogel. And it was a situation where AD would get the ball at the foul line or top of the key. And when they had Westbrook in there, when they had uh, John Rondo in there, you saw how small the lanes were for Anthony Davis to do some things. I mean, when you know, we wanted to take that jab step and go to the uh, right side and try to uh, maneuver that way, he would have to settle for the foul line or top of the key jump shot, which he was hitting with some consistency, but to open those lanes up a little bit more. Frank Vogel, you have an Austin Reeves, you have in Rajon Rondo, you have uh, Westbrook in the game at the same time. No wonder the offense looks so bogged down. And, Again, I think it's going to be a situation moving forward with everything being right with the Lakers during crunch time, Westbrook, LeBron, AD in the game. Who's going to be that fixture in terms of the fourth and fifth guy on the court? Is it going to be, as I mentioned before, just a game-by-game situation in terms of which player is going to be playing the best? Now we have to throw into the mix someone like a Kent Bazemore, a Malik Monk, who provides some offense. Um, I don't think Austin Reeves, once everybody is fully healthy, is going to be getting that opportunity. But it's almost a game committee in terms of which two players are playing the best will determine whether those guys will be playing the crunch time minutes with LeBron, Russ, and AD regardless of how those guys are playing so it could be Austin Reeves it could be one of those guys moving forward how well is that going to be for the Lakers as they um, improve or they look to improve this season so yeah everything else so far um, Utah 4-0 Golden State losing their first game to Memphis the other night they're 4-1 Steph Curry looking great as I mentioned before there's no team I enjoy watching more than the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry and the way that uh, him and Draymond Green operate on the court together. Love it. Absolutely love it. Just beautiful basketball. Two guys with ex- excellent on-court chemistry. And, uh, you know, I, I I don't know how long this is going to last. 
in terms of the success when you're speaking about the Warriors. Again, people are speaking about, well, they haven't even got Klay Thompson back. Okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, what kind of Klay Thompson are we getting back? And how much of an impact is he going to make? And how quickly of an impact is he going to make? And what type of player is he going to be when he comes back? We don't, Right off the bat, if he comes back, say, around the Christmas season, if he comes back around the 25th of December, he's not going to jump back to the Clay Thompson that we all know and love. It's impossible after missing two seasons and having the type of injuries that he has. There might be some semblance of that later on in the season, but, you know, once you get into the uh, Western Conference nitty-gritty into the playoff picture, I mean, how much can the Warriors depend and rely on Steph Curry and what type of Steph Curry are we going to be getting? So that's my situation. That's my thoughts about the Golden State Warriors. John Morant uh, making an early bid for a player of impact. He was awesome in a loss on Sunday against the Lakers. Hit some unbelievable shots. No one on the Lakers could could guard that guy. Then comes back and uh, puts on a excellent performance, outdueling Steph Curry in Memphis's victory over Golden State. Mentioned before, giving Golden State their first loss of the season. Timberwolves 3-1, and one. Anthony Edwards shooting more threes than usual, Carl Anthony Towns starting off strong, the Dallas Mavericks with their new player committee, which consists of Luka, um, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Christoph Porzingis, let's be for real here, the president, the main guy, the decision maker of that group is going to be Luka, I don't think if Luka wants something in uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christoph Porzingis are like, well, Luka, I really don't think so, uh, let me guess, Luca's going to win. Luca controls that organization. Sorry, when you're that great and you're that young and you're that promising and the checks have already cleared in terms of, yeah, this guy is the real deal. Yeah, you have that type of power. Yeah, you have that type of impact. Yeah, you have that type of input. Now, there was a story going around that, you know, those players wanted, uh, 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 oh, uh, wanted the players to start. Uh, at the center position, oh man, I'm thinking of Dwight Powell. Yeah, Dwight Powell, he wanted the, uh, those guys wanted him to be the uh, starter. So we don't want to be giving the players counsel too much power for Jason Kidd. But Jason Kidd, who in his Milwaukee days was known as a guy who was very uh, stringent, inflexible, and kind of a, a dictator, a tyrant, shall we say, very inflexible to the wants and needs and suggestions of those of on the team is uh, trying to change his ways, change his spots in that sense by giving the players a little bit more autonomy on how things are going. Of course, they'll be drawing a line on some of those things, but um, to start things off on the season, yeah, Jay Kidd is allowing those guys, as I mentioned before, I mean, you know, Luca, hello. So about that. So, you know, other than that, hey, you know what? Hopefully, uh, Nikola Jokic, who went knee-to-knee on Rudy Gobert, on Tuesday, the Jazz versus the uh, Nuggets game. Hopefully, he'll be all right and back to playing strongly. He uh, had a he's been starting off very strongly uh, this season. Clippers one and three without Kawhi. Phoenix Suns one and three, the defending Western Conference champions. Um, don't know how much of a distraction DeAndre Ayton not getting a contract is having on the locker room, but I'm quite sure it'll be minuscule. The Spurs and the Thunder, one and four. The Pelicans are an absolute mess with Zion not playing and looking way out of shape. Even when he does come back, you know he's going to be on a minutes restriction as he tried to get himself back into shape. And we know that Zion is not fond of um, 
minutes being managed, games being managed. So that relationship between him and the Pelicans needs to uh, be monitored. The Sacramento Kings starting off pretty well, two and two. They look like they have a functional franchise with De'Aaron Fox. Uh, Halliburton has uh, done pretty well in the um, oh the the from Baylor, whose name I forgot, but the rookie from Baylor has been outstanding in terms of defense is concerned. The uh, the situation or the possession that he had in a game against Golden State where he just locked down Steph Curry like he was a little child and then stole the ball from him was uh, quite impressive. Oh, the name is going to escape me, and I'm going to remember it in about 15 minutes, and I'm going to be very, very unhappy. But looks like Sacramento with De'Aaron Fox and others look like they're going to have a situation where, hey, look, man, they're going to look, it looks something. It looks like they have something that they can work with. You know, excellent win over <clears throat> Phoenix on the road. Harrison Barnes, who, yes, is still living. He's still breathing. He's still a, he's still a human being who's doing some things. Hit the game-winning shot to uh, win that game for him. So Davion Mitchell, hello. Now it came to me, Davion Mitchell, the guy from Baylor. Just popped into my brain. So, yeah, the Sacramento Kings look like they could be heading in the right direction. The Houston Rockets franchise looks promising with Jalen Green, his green, as far as his experience is concerned, but you see the talent there. In Cleveland, Evan Mobley, you see the talent there. They got themselves a couple of good wins. So, so far in the NBA, Charlotte, you know, Mabello having a pretty good first game, but, you know, falling back to earth just a little bit. But Miles Bridges has been playing over his head so far this season. We'll see how long that lasts. So, a lot of things going on in the NBA. Still young. Still young, still a lot of things to be worked on and justified and those type of things. But uh, so far, if you again, taking a look at the New York Knicks, who's already played a fabulous game, uh, opening game against the Boston Celtics, and then turned around after blowing out the Orlando Magic on the road to turn around and play so poorly in the second half, especially the fourth quarter to lose to Orlando. Again, that was surprising, but a uh, good start for the Knicks. It's always great when the Knicks are relevant, which has been few and far between. But the crowds, the uh, folks at Madison Square Garden, some of the best basketball fans in the country, in the world. So it's always a pleasure knowing that they're going to be giving the Knicks a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of motivation, even during the dog days of the NBA season. So nice to see the Knicks starting off well. It's nice to see young, exciting teams like the Charlotte Hornets doing well. Don't know how long it's going to last, but, last, but uh, so far so good for the start of this NBA season. Biggie. Uh, uh huh. Uh, this goes out to you. you. This goes out to you and you and you. Biggie, you. This goes out to you. This goes out to you. This goes out to you and you and you. Huh. Your reign on the top was short like leprechauns as I crushed so-called Willie's thugs and rapidons. Uh, get in that ass, quick fast like Ramadan. It's that rap phenomenon. Don Dada, fuck Papa, you gotta call me Francis M.H. White intake like toast, tote iron. Was told in shootouts, stay low and keep firing. Keep extra clips for extra shit. Who's next to flip on that cat with that grip on rap? The most shady. Yeah. Frankie, baby. Ain't no telling where I may be. May see me in D.C. at Howard Homecoming with my man Capone drumming fucking something. 
Last segment of the podcast Last segment of the program Very, very, very quickly Because I want to get out of here in less than Two hours and fifteen minutes Of this podcast Any more than that might be a little bit too rough So I want to thank everybody for listening so far To the podcast, Wendell's World And Sports, thank you so doggone much I really much appreciate it I'm going to be speaking more about what's happening In terms of college football I also want to be speaking about the baseball The World Series, Atlanta going back to uh, try to, uh, you know, gain some victories over the Houston Astros, and we're going to have to be putting up with the tomahawk chop and all this other stuff. It almost goes back to my discussion and my thoughts and opinions about Deshaun Watson in terms of these fan bases who want to sit there and talk about, well, gee, I don't know if we should have Deshaun Watson as the leader of our football team or the face of our franchise or the quarterback of our team because of the fact of some of the stuff that he's in. And, you know, I want my kids to have good role models and I want to set a good example. And, you know, I want to show, you know, that I'm a decent human being. Well, okay, for those folks in Atlanta and the Atlanta Falcons are not reportedly interested in obtaining the services of Deshaun Watson, even though him and Kyle Pitts would make for quite a wonderful duo, I would think. But, um, you know, for those folks who might um, echo the same sentiments of those fan bases who might be getting Deshaun Watson's by, Watson by saying, nah, that's not for me, you know, Deshaun Watson, you know, character counts and all those type of things. So what are we going to be hearing tonight, game uh, three between the Braves and the uh, Houston Astros? In the in the tomahawk shop, yeah, um, pretty ignorant, yeah, uh, pretty racist, yeah, pretty uh, selfish, yeah, just, just no, just we're in twenty twenty one, trying to uh, move this country along, this world along in a much better place than where we're going right now, than where we are right now. Really don't think in the year 2021, those type of uh, gestures and that type of chanting is acceptable. Now, yes, it's not toward black folks. It's not uh, doing something in terms of it's not being offensive or racist toward black folks or Jewish folks. Or it's not going to be um, doing this, something that's derogatory, that's going to be upsetting uh, gays or other groups, women, other groups that have voiced their displeasure about some of the ignorance that has been that they have tolerated in some cases for centuries. But because the Native Americans are so obsolete in our thinking about, you know, who we should be thinking about, who we should be respecting, who we should be listening to in terms of, yeah, not really cool, not really a, not really a good idea. The Native Americans in this country have no voice. They have uh, no, uh, no avenues whatsoever to come to the table to voice their anger and their frustrations and make it stick in terms of saying, hey, look, yeah, look knock the bullshit off okay the tomahawk chop and all that kind of knock that bullshit off if you would please there has been some progress made in terms of native americans with the washington football team name being changed and others and yes this country has been fighting and scratching and clawing their way toward making those things happen but i remember the first game of the season between washington and the los angeles chargers when the game was getting close and washington needed a big play or needed a big defensive stop or whatever the home crowd started chanting let's go redskins you know we just couldn't we just couldn't keep our ignorance in the entire time right i mean the situation where we might win a football game just we just couldn't hold it in any longer we had to show our stupidity we had to show our ignorance we had to show our intolerance by yelling let's go redskins and this criticism that i'm 
throwing out here is not towards any one race, any one creed, any one color, any one gender, any one political affiliation, any one religion, none of that stuff. Everyone was involved in that ignorance. Everyone was involved in that stupidity. Everyone was involved in an embarrassment. Again, black folks, white folks, males, females, gay, straight, fat, skinny, lesbian, Jews, Christians, and whatever, man. All of y'all were showing your fucking ignorance and showing your stupidity. Let's go, Redskins. Let's go. Like, all of a sudden, now the Redskins... I'm sorry, the Washington football team is going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, you know, we weren't really motivated, but when we heard that Let's Go Redskins chant, it just gave us the momentum and it gave us the passion and it gave us the fire and our ability to go ahead and get the job done and win a football game. Who gives a fuck about the Native Americans and what they feel? We're trying to win a fucking football game here. So if they're offended or if we're doing something that's very offensive to them, well, fuck those guys. We got to win this football game. It's a season opener. What the hell? The same thing with the Braves fans. Man, fuck the Native Americans, man. We got to win this World Series. We haven't won a World Series in what, 20-something years? Fuck the Native Americans and if we're pissing them off or if we're discriminating against them or or if we're saying stuff that's offensive. We don't give a fuck. We got to win this baseball game. We got to win this World Series. And if it means we got to chant and do the tomahawk chop for all three games, well, then goddammit, that's what we're going to do. And if those fucking Native Americans don't like it, they can fucking suck my motherfucking dick. Booyah! That's what we're going to be doing here? Is that the sentiment that we're going to have? Is that how we're going to be expressing our racism and our ignorance and our stupidity and our intolerance? Atlanta? An Atlanta Braves fan? Are we going to be doing that? Really doesn't matter, right? Because after all, when the last time you talked to a Native American, right? When the next time you're going to be living in a, on, a, on an Indian reservation, right? When is the next time you're going to be going through the trials and tribulations of those of Native American descent, right? Probably not. So why do you give a fuck, right? And that goes for everybody. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, Asian, you know, doesn't matter. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Ma'am, I'm going to be getting out of here kind of late. Let me go ahead very quickly talk about some of the things in terms of college football is concerned before I get out of here. Some of the things that I'm going to be looking for. The Big Ten is going to be setting the stage in terms of the importance of the weekend when you're speaking about number six Michigan at number eight Michigan State. Noon time, Pacific Standard Time on Fox. If Jim Harbaugh is really going to uh, make that, uh, continue to make the positive development that he's had this season, you got to be Michigan State. Not just because Michigan State is in your own backyard and state and rivals and all this kind of stuff. It's a matter of Michigan State has greatly overachieved. Mel Tucker has done an awesome job in terms of using the transfer portal to bring in some uh, players that are going, that have helped him get to that spot. But Michigan State has clearly overachieved. And Michigan, while a very solid football program, this is the time for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh to... Uh, really announced themselves in terms of, hey, we're here to uh, really do some things. And beating Michigan State, which they should beat Michigan State, I would say handily, even on the road, I think would be a huge, huge move for those guys. Um, Don't have the quarterback play of years past. Jim Harbaugh was supposed to be a quarterback whisperer. The stuff that he did for Kaepernick and Alex Smith and even before that in college in Stanford with Andrew Luck. But uh, they have relied grossly on the running games, power football, 
Powerball changed its coordinators, brought in some younger folks, and uh, so far it's paid off with an undefeated season. Let's see if they can keep that going. Also, the Big Ten, some of the gains of importance. You have number 20 Penn State at Ohio State. Ohio State um, now ranked number five in the country ahead of the team that they lost to the second week of the season at home, Oregon. But so far this season, if you take a look outside of Georgia over the last couple of weeks, who's been playing better football than Ohio State? Now, they might not have had the test that some of the other teams have had, but if you take a look at some of these top five, top six teams that are currently ranked and you throw in Ohio State, I mean, it would take a very short list before you would say in terms of the best teams in the country putting in Ohio State. Maybe only Georgia. Would you put Cincinnati over Ohio State? I wouldn't. Would you put Oklahoma over Ohio State? I wouldn't. Would you put Alabama over Ohio State so far with the secondary and some of the defensive lapses that um, Alabama has had the last couple of weeks, even though impressive victory over Tennessee and have rebounded well since losing to Texas A&M, I would still put Ohio State the way that they're playing uh, over Alabama. And yes, Indiana is overrated, but the beatdown that they gave them on the road, very, very impressive. And for Penn State, hey, look, man, James Franklin, we don't know what's happening with him with the Penn State situation. He's brought in, He's bringing in a really great recruiting class. He's finally going to be bringing in a quarterback, something that he hasn't had. Sorry, Sean Clifford. A quarterback that can get him to possible national championship prestige, but... That game against um, Illinois where they couldn't do anything for like 18 overtimes. I don't know if it broke them. I don't know what this means for Franklin going forward. A couple of weeks ago, he changed agents. So with the UCLA, excuse me, with the USC job opening and with the uh, Louisiana State job opening, what does that mean? Who knows? We don't know. What does recruiting class for Penn State mean for Franklin? Who knows? What would it mean for Penn State to get blown out at Ohio State and then finish the season on the whimper when they were one of the top teams in the um, in the top 10 uh, this season? I don't know, but we are going to find out. So number 20, Penn State versus number five, Oklahoma State. Number nine, Iowa at Wisconsin. That's also going to be an interesting game. And then, of course, we have the greatest, biggest indoor cocktail, outdoor cocktail party between Florida and Georgia. Maybe the last stop on the somebody's got to be Georgia to get them off of the number one ranked team in the country uh, plateau. Florida might be the only one that can do that. Cincinnati's going to be at Tulane. Oh, let me see some other game. Florida State at a falling Clemson team. Duke is going to be at number 13, Wake Forest. Saturday evening, we have Ole Miss at Auburn. We have Kentucky at Mississippi State. So some really good games from top to bottom. The Big 12 race, we're going to have um, Texas Tech at Oklahoma. With Oklahoma, the way they play, playing down through their competition, expect a lot of points. And expect a lot of goofy plays. Number 22, Iowa State at West Virginia. Texas at number 16, Baylor. That's going to start things off. And as I mentioned before, Georgia at Florida, 3.30 Eastern Standard Time on CBS. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff going down. All right, I'm out. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm out of here. I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. Thank you very much. Make sure that you download, subscribe, review, rate, follow, all those things that you need to do everywhere where you listen to your favorite uh, podcast. I'm going to leave with the godfather of Gogo, 
My main man Chuck that Chuck Brown getting down. He ain't no clown. I like the sound. Growing up in the Washington D.C. metropolitan area for black folks for the black community. This was our music. This still is our music, and it's funky. It's rich. It's awesome. And the guy, the man, synonymous with this music, born and bred and raised in Washington D.C. go-go music is none other than the legendary Chuck Brown. Rest in peace. So. Let's get funky with it. Let's get go-go with it. I will see y'all when I see ya. Hit me. Give me that music.